0: ha ha
1: dance gavin dance baby you are now listening to
2: you are now listening to
1: you are now listening to swan
3: casting the official unofficial podcast for swan core
2: where you can get down with brown town get stuck because you're the clown now
3: and check your ballot to vote this dick right
1: into
2: where we discuss the good, the bad, the ugly of all things DGG.
1: So don't be tardy for my leaky Barbie TV party pee in the park. Because you
3: won't want to miss this.
2: So put it in my fist and squish and twist with the wrist and come with us as we give you nothing but Hot
1: Takes, Musical Tastes, an Unfiltered DGD Opinionated Race.
2: Where feelings get hurt, but it's all good because it's for the love of Dance Gavin Dance. So turn up your headphones as we dive into
1: Swan Casting. All right, welcome to Swan Casting, episode number eight. In North Jersey, we have Matt. Hey. In Pennsylvania, we have Rob. Oh, wait, he's not here. And, uh, <laughs> and over, actually, up and over in Long Island, we have Ray and John from the band
4: Moontooth. What's up? What's up, boys?
1: All right, so... Uh, we discovered you like a, about a year or two ago. You popped up on my, my Spotify tastebreakers. It was, I think it was Trust that uh, popped up. It was before the album came out. And it's, uh, for me, it was Love at First Sight. How about you, Matt?
2: Well, I think right after you saw it and had your Love at First Sight moment, you told me to go check it out. And I was, I was blown away uh, by it. And then I remember uh not long after that we were hanging out and we were listening to it and we were just you know freaking out over just like how impressive it was and how you could hear this uh amalgamation of influences on it and yet at the same time it sounded very unified and cohesive and it was really cool and we were just freaking out over how awesome it was. Thanks guys. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think we had like a it was like a three-page text chain of just like all of the bands that we felt that you guys incorporated <laughs> everything from like Incubus, Foo Fighters, Mastodon, um, you know, then all the metal bands.
4: That's that's <laughs> for, sounds about right. We, I mean, we get
3: some weird ones, but there are a yeah. few that like you know, it's like a giant Venn diagram of like a thousand circles, but usually there's like <laughs> 10 or 20 that are the same.
4: And Incubus, Incubus is always a funny one because I think that's probably that's mostly John, I think, because um, me, Nick, me and Nick especially didn't really grow up listening to Incubus that much. I think Vin did a little bit, but John, that was, that was your shit for a while. Yeah, I,
3: I haven't listened to them as much uh, in the years since we started Moontooth, but I l- used to listen to them when I was younger, before I started playing drums. Like all the time, stopped listening to them for a while, started playing drums a couple of years later, started listening to them to them, and realized like, oh my god, I, I'm drumming j- exactly like Jose <laughs> from Incubus, so it's probably the same thing that's going on with Brandon Boyd. Try not to rip off anybody off intentionally, but
4: I never caught it like I never had I never even would have thought about incubus, but I'm also in the band, so <laughs> it's hard for me to have the objective opinion but it's like clean folks,
3: like... heavy music too, heavy-ish yeah. music.
1: Yeah, early on, Incubus was fairly heavy. They had, like, yeah. some some new metal vibes yeah. going on. What was your, uh, John, what was your favorite Incubus album?
3: Um, it's probably, a you know, Purist would probably be pissed off if I didn't say Science right now, but um, it's a toss-up between Morning View, I don't know, Make Yourself in Morning View, probably Morning View is the one that hit me the hardest. I was in, like, eighth grade at, at the time, and yeah, I had the Morning View sessions and uh, just watching them like living in this giant house and recording. I was like, I want to do that with my life. I want to like, live with my buddies and record an album and just be in it and not have to deal with any other bullshit. And, uh, but uh, I like to curl up to the murder. I kind of fell off a little bit after that, but I'll, I'll dip my toes in every now and again. I dig some of the shit they've done since then.
1: That's, that's funny because Morning View is like by far my favorite.
3: I think it's a damn near perfect album.
1: Yeah, is uh, I saw them uh, live and they did a aqueous transmission with the um oh, I mean. What's that? It wasn't a lute. What's a sitar? I have no idea what it's called.
3: I don't I don't want to assume it's a sitar. It's probably something maybe yeah. a lute? I don't know. I think that's definitely not a lute. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like even know the, what the closest thing is, it looks so. like a sitar, but it's probably it sounds a little different. Um, but I anyway. only know this, <laughs> the
4: strings are really expensive on a lute. That's the only thing I know about them somebody was playing at a coffee shop, these, these are $120 for a pair of strings. Okay.
3: Many days spent in high school listening to that song and songs from that album just
4: pining over girls that I didn't have the guts to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> so, just wanted that morning view, right?
1: Back <laughs> <laughs> nice. right that, right hey. huh? Back, back to lutes. I didn't know people still played those. I thought that was just for like... Um, thought it died.
3: You know, the the Witcher. I do it all the
1: time yeah I, I do yeah
3: Well, because a lot of times shit's expensive, so why am I going to pay for shit? I might as well just go into a store and bust the window open and then uh and loot the shit out of it you know as a long <laughs> as a long loot joke. All right, let's do it a full podcast of dad jokes <laughs> yeah I was gonna say you guys have kids
1: <laughs>
3: no no uh, not yet,
1: I can't find them. just training no, them.
4: it's fucked up,
2: they're out there somewhere. And so a, a quick Google search, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure if this is the correct way to pronounce it, uh, but the instrument is a uh, it's called a pipa. P I P A. Does it say yeah, how many P-I- strings it has? I could look that up too. It's 12 to 26 frets, um, a pretty wide range. I'm trying to see if I can find number of strings. This uh, is this is a great podcast right of, here. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> I'm not, there, I got a lot of reading to do, so I'll have to I'll have to, <laughs> we'll, I'll have to give an answer way. in a. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to answer that maybe in a future podcast. I'll have to provide the answer.
1: I'll I'll tweet it out so everyone It's not knows. it's
2: not in the first paragraph on uh, on Wikipedia, so it's not worth that, it. Yeah. i just learned
3: uh, i just learned what T T L D R means. I saw a couple people posting and <laughs> like, what that the one. fuck does that mean? Somebody had to tell them like, too long, didn't read. I just think that's fucking hilarious. That's yeah. <laughs> oh. a condescending thing to just be like, too long, didn't read.
4: Yeah. At the bottom you get the little disclaimer Like this is uh, round about what it is I'm so busy don't I can't even
3: write out the full sentence Of why I don't have time for this shit
1: <laughs> That makes it extra dismissive just
3: yeah. like <laughs> You
4: don't even get all the
3: words homeboy Just <laughs> You
1: sent me an article, here's four letters
4: yeah. <laughs> Well if it was too long you couldn't read it well, I would, It would be bad to just say This is too long and I did not want to read this article And then put the shorter, it would take you longer to read that <laughs>
1: Well, Twitter, you guys save some uh, characters, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> we have a few to deal with. You guys been on Twitter for a while?
1: Um, so I avoided it like the plague until we started this podcast, and I was yeah. just like, we should probably promote it, <laughs> because yeah. I don't think it's going <laughs> to spread so by word of mouth. Of,
4: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I still don't have a Twitter. We have a Moontooth Twitter, which just gets on, just ends up being reposts of <laughs> Facebook, Twitter... I mean, Facebook and Instagram or whatever. But, yeah, I just don't... I don't know. I think I followed, like, Trump for a while just because it was hilarious. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I don't think I really fuck with Twitter at all. And deleted it pretty quickly.
1: Who's your... uh Do you guys have a guy for Twitter? Or does... Do one usually, of you guys... Usually uh, Nick will handle yeah.
3: that for the most part. My yeah, manager next, will next step man. in sometimes when we need to. But, um yeah, Nick's doing that. We had a funny thing with that... Um uh, John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats found out about us somehow, and, and he had uh, posted about our second album, Chroma Paragon, and, or our first full-length, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we were talking briefly through Twitter, but it was a moment for us. We were like, wait,
4: what? We got a message from him on
3: Twitter or something like that? And we were like, what the fuck? I'm like, oh, shit. Check Slutting this out. Sliding in
4: the DMs. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We awesome. actually went to... Um, I, was at this, I was at this venue in Pennsylvania with my fiancé, Sam, and we went to go see Mountain Goats, or John Darnielle playing with the Mountain Goats. And I was like backstage, well, not like the backstage area, like right as he walked off the stage. And I was like, hey, John. I was like, I'm, f- I'm fucking Bluetooth," And I like, threw a pin at him. Like I was about to, well, was about to throw it. <laughs> I just like tossed it at him. And he would look at me. like, what the fuck is this? And then he goes backstage. Everybody's saying like waiting for an encore. And I see him frantically coming through the door like, who the, f- who the fuck was that? And he was like, You? You're in Moontooth? He was like, What the fuck? He was like, Oh, it's fucking amazing. And then he like, He like shook my hand, you know, back when people touched each other, and then went outside and then just like told the whole audience, Hey, fucking drummer from Moontooth is here. And everybody was like, Fucking who? Okay. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck that is, but. It's not really the same crowd, Bluetooth. but yeah, Bluetooth. What? <laughs> that's what we I get DVD. all the time. Do I get free headphones? No, but it was funny. He was, he was a really fucking nice guy, and he like sent me a. Me- I sent him a message on Twitter, and he got back to me that night and just just bullshitted for a little bit. He's a cool guy.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Before your um, live stream, I I posted it on our Twitter, being like, hey, check these guys out. They're very heavily technical. You know, the song structures mostly all over the place. And, you know, you guys got catchy vocals, and even, like, your guitar riffs and drum beats are, like, earworms, so we figured that would be a, this would be a good crossover pod from the post-hardcore to the, what do you guys consider
4: yourself? Uh, proggy metal? or At this point, we're just, I mean, rock, I guess. Well, here's we the, I, <laughs>
3: the way that I always say it is uh, heavy rock and roll, because, like, there's elements that are when we started out we used to call it aggressive aggressive, which is pretty cool. But uh, we've definitely like calmed down on some of the insanity a little bit <clears throat> and leaned more into like the bluesiness and the rock side. And it's really, I don't know. I always uh, I do a blanket apology right now for things that I say that are going to come off as arrogant <coughs> or braggy. But uh, now it's going to be worse. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I always uh, I always look at like Led Zeppelin as uh, a good comparison, not saying like yeah we're as good as Let's Zeppelin, but like <laughs> flex. It's, <just laughs> it's like four four dudes, you know, three three instruments, one singer, and you know each is like a uh, you know, you know really like great in their own right at what they do, and and they're just you, they're heavily influenced by the blues, but they're also very heavy. So they were always kind of like not like a, a guiding point, but like a I don't know, that, that's what maybe always thinks it's like so yeah, four legs really, of the table yeah, yeah there's progressive shit and and it's, and it's kind of like medley sometimes but really when you
4: look at it it's, it's just kind of like rock and roll Like, yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's like spicy spicy <laughs> rock and roll I would say yeah <laughs> maybe we should change the Wikipedia page that we don't have
1: <laughs> well then we could use this as a, a reference which is like my
4: main goal in life with now, this podcast <laughs> is just to be a reference <laughs> on Wikipedia <laughs> it's cited so it's real it happened yeah yeah
1: <laughs> Nothing will legitimize us like being cited.
4: Yeah. Um, I, I thought that when we got signed, we'd have a Wikipedia, but we'll, we'll graduate to that, I guess, at some point, and then we'll, I guess, write it ourselves. <laughs> we'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll have a, a fan who'll, like, do it for us, you know?
4: Hopefully. I think we tried it at some point, like, years ago, and they were just like, Pfft, nah. <laughs> They're just like, this uh, This doesn't look legit or some shit like that, and that was it. <laughs> we're we're a real band now, though, so... <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Nah, whatever.
1: A lot of the bands we talk to are in the, the post-hardcore world, or we call it a... Dance Gavin Dance-related bands are called Swancore, which is Swan. kind of where our name comes from. The, the guitarist is Will Swan. He has a label, Blue Swan. You know, there's a bunch of bands that sound like them, or, like, Dance Gavin Dance has a revolving door of musicians and yeah. so like whoever leaves and goes and do you guys so usually we start out with that's my leading question is like hey like how is touring with them or, or something like that have you guys <laughs> so i'll start with this have you guys listened to them before or called with, them at all or
4: with dance coming dance yeah. yeah i mean more so recently because we share management um because i've always heard a bunch of songs by them and it was always cool shit but i finally like dove into their catalog a little bit. At this point, I still can't remember albums or song names because I've just been, like, skipping around to other catalog. But it's definitely cool. It was always, like, I don't know. It was always, like, on the back burner. Like, I never really gave it a full chance. And now that I did, I definitely dig it.
3: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i the same. I've kind of, like, dipped my toes in over the years. Like, I do this a lot. This is less about them and more about my own, like, tendencies. Um, a lot of times if i hear something i dig I'm like oh it's cool and then it takes me forever to actually sit down to it i'll even go back to random songs and and you know it's it's really terrible because it's it's important if you appreciate art like you got to dive in you know what i mean like listen to something new but uh yeah, it's, it's one of those things there's been a couple times where i've sat down uh with some of their records and listened through but um but yeah I've, i mean i've dug what i heard you know it's, it's pretty cool shit i like um I like how techy it is, you know, the you know, the vocals are fucking rad, you know, really cool shit and interesting voice, you know.
1: You got three vocalists who all Wait, bring something real different. I thought there was just two. Well, so yeah, there's there's only two. <laughs> there's uh Tillian, who was originally in Tides of Man, and then there's John Mass, who's like the usual screamer, but before that you had this guy, Johnny Craig, who um like if you heard him, it's like very... He's like the very soulful singer. And then there's the other guy, Kurt Travis, who's... Jesus. Yeah. And somehow they survived uh, <laughs> two lead singer changes. Yeah. Oh, I think now I, we're
3: on our third. I, I, uh, I f- found them... Uh, I think the first thing I heard from them was, uh, was Accepted Speech, I think. Was okay. 2013. Is that album maybe? Something like that? I didn't find yeah, it that, that year, but... Uh, that was when I found them. I, I think on that album they had their current two singers, or at least the, yeah. the front men, you know? Yep. Yeah, okay. So yeah, that's most of the stuff I know is with those two guys on vocals, but it's really cool the kind of dynamic they have.
1: Yeah, and I feel like they um, they had a start like a little bit similar to how I feel like you guys were perceived originally based off of what I've I've read. Is that like... They were different. They were combining a lot of things at once. And, like, originally they, um, you know, members of, like, the the post-hardcore community were, like, these guys aren't doing it right. And then now they're selling out, like, uh, now they're selling out venues that I used to see Incubus in. And now they're selling out, like, two nights, so. Uh, you know, and another eleven albums. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, all we need is like maybe five or six more singers to come in and out. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that ra- that r- raising a very interesting point. I mean, we we get that kind of a, a lot lot. You know, the ho- the whole kind of like, you know, they got a little a lot of different sounds going on, and and so it's something we pride ourselves on. We don't try to sound like how we sound. We just that's what naturally happens. You know, when we, re- we were. One person writes one small thing, and then the rest of us react to it, and that's the sound that happens. Yeah. And uh, you know what? What you said about like how people gave them shit, and then you know, then they're selling out these huge venues. So like that makes sense, doesn't it? Because like shit that will blow up really easy. This is this is this is like my butthurt rant. You know, like things that <laughs> you know bands that might get signed really quickly and establish a, a career very fast because they they sound like what's selling. Like, is there really any longevity in that? Sometimes there is, but like. <clears throat> you know, how much depth is there and how much longevity is in that. It makes sense that like the people that end up, <clears throat> you know, still going at it and successful years later, it's like, you know, it's 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 because that, you know, people, when they listen to that particular band, in this case, Dance Gavin Dance we're talking about, like, you know, they can only go to them to hear that particular sound. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, you can only get, I mean, for me, there's there's a bunch of bands that have already done something that I like and there's not, there's no reason to listen to another band that's doing that almost exact same. Like, there's already, there's already an ACDC. We don't need fucking 20 more bands that sound exactly like that because they're doing it. They're doing it well. I mean, I don't think anybody would try to really do Rage Against the Machine at this point just because like it's probably impossible. I've seen so many bad, like, Rage covers just oh, at, like, yeah. bars. It's, it's just something that, like, I, I don't even think I would ever want to do just because, like, there's so much power in what they're doing and the way they play at that... I don't know. Just don't want to touch it. But I mean, that's that's kind of what I go after. Like if a band's doing something, I like them to do like a few things really good. It's their style, and I can't go anywhere else. You know, everybody's making. If everybody's making apple pie, then it's going to get really fucking boring. But you've got to have a, a black bean pumpkin pie every once in a while to <laughs> just, just try some new shit.
1: <laughs> mm, black beans and pumpkin. It sounds like shit,
4: but you know. <laughs> It could Wait, work. is that a real thing? No, I'm just, I oh, literally, gosh. I just came, whoosh, just came out of my butt. But uh um,
1: you were like, grandma's black bean and pumpkin
4: pie. My grandmother always used to make pinto black bean pumpkin spicy Miller Lite pie, and I loved it. <laughs> That's what we all need to aspire to, is Miller Lite pie, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is what happens to your stomach. Oh, oh she Thanks for getting going. me a beer, John. I really appreciate she it. She
3: called it all Miller, no filler. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, sure. Thank you.
3: There you go. All right, cheers. Sorry guys, cheers folks. Cheers boys. Sorry, getting off topic like crazy. That's tended to happen with us.
1: Um, yeah, this is kind of what we're all about. Yeah. yeah. Right
2: on. We, we go on the ta- on the tangents a lot.
1: We we start yeah. off with very serious structured interviews and it just it felt kind of wrong. I'd rather just have like a conversation. Uh, yeah, agreed. I
3: sounds, just, sounds uh, like my sex life
1: <laughs> it, it, it also like
2: I, I completely understand the you know the you know the wanting you know to have bands that are bringing something kind of new to the table too because that's like that's probably like my number one gripe with uh with greta van fleet like they're all oh super my god knotted.
3: dude oh my god matt i <laughs> s- came this close to fucking saying them i'm like should i bring them up i decided not to but that's it's, exactly what i was thinking of there, i thought you were going there
2: they're they're super they're super talented. Um, but I, I just think that they're they're leaning a little bit too much into the the Zeppelin, Zeppelin sound, <laughs> you know. I, I would love to hear them do something that's kind of their own, they and I think they could band. pull it off.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. I think they have it, and I think you know maybe to, you know to get themselves in the spotlight. Yes, yeah, sure, lean leaning into the the Zeppelin thing, but now that they've kind of got the attention, I, I want to hear them.
3: Yeah, you no, know I mean, this is I'm this totally is the great. thing with with them as an example, but I'll, you know you could use it to talk about. Plenty of other bands that just like okay we want to sound exactly like this and you know we might use one or two bands to just rip off everything about them and Greta Van Fleet is like ridiculous that's almost like a like a joke somebody made like what if we got like some kids and we make dress them ex- in in Led Zeppelin costumes <laughs> and we gave them Led Zeppelin's <laughs> instruments and we had them just rewrite Led Zeppelin's songs and then it worked and it got them big but like you know in in this day and age when like Balls out, guitar, rock is like not, you know, so prominent. You know what I mean? Like all the fucking like Q104 dads, That's a New York radio station for those <laughs> unaware. Like um, they latched onto it because they're like, oh yeah, you know, young people playing rock and roll. It's just like, no, dude, there's so many young people playing rock and roll. Yeah, the these same. guys just sounded like Led Zeppelin, so they got off, but like they got successful. So what does that tell young kids with guitars? That That tells them, okay, if we want to make it, We have to sound and look and act and move exactly like somebody who already made it. And that is the antithesis of what rock and roll is. You know, rock and roll is saying, like, fuck you. I'm going to do it my way. So they're they're really that's. Greta Van Fleet is true blasphemy, and and <clears throat> perhaps another big terrible thing is the fact that Headline they're up. all incredibly talented. Like they'd probably be a fucking kick ass band if they just did their own thing. How right? old? How old are those kids? Uh, they, I mean, they start. Aren't they I like super young, young, like sixteen or something? Yeah, so it's like there's part of that to think about
4: too. I guess that's the only difference between them and Led Zeppelin if they if they have sex with a sixteen year old kid, then they're not going to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's they're even ripping off their fucking uh, yeah, sexual habits too. They're, they're going right sex for Sex with underage girls, I bet. <laughs> oh, you
4: can't man. get canceled
1: if you're underage.
4: Yeah, if they're true. underage or anything, they're all she set.
3: had sex with me, man. I'm 15.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Headline, no, no, don't please don't. <laughs>
1: but so you guys, you guys have your own fresh sound, and uh, so you guys have also. I feel like there's a huge difference between uh, Chroma Paragon, your your first full length, and Crux. Um, Like uh, Chroma Paragon is very very chaotic. I feel like you guys brought out all the stops, but not necessarily in like a you overdid it kind of way. Because Mm. like even the weird tangents and stuff are still like kind of earworms. Yeah you know, and then you guys transition into your, your latest um, full-length crux, which uh, it's like a little more melodic, there's a little more sound structure, and I mean, I personally think, as far as uh, the vocals are concerned, is that, John, you just seemed like a lot more comfortable and you shined like a lot more. Like, I feel like there's more po-, the lyrics are more poetic, like, Thank I God. mean, you're still coming in and out at, crazy-ass times, and your feel is just insane. Like, I don't I don't know how you come up with that kind of stuff. But, well,
3: um, well, thank you. Uh, one one of the interesting things about this is that, so it has to do with when we started. Uh, Nick and Ray had played in a band called Exemption for about eight years or so, and um, that band ended, and Loon 2 started. I joined as the singer, and... Um, you know, they they were just writing this crazy shit, and I had never, like, fronted... Well, actually, you know, not talking about when I was, like, younger in high school and shit like that, but, like, as somebody who had already started touring and actually playing in bands, I had never been, like, the lead vocalist and stuff, so th- I loved their music, Nick and Ray's music, so much. And uh, to get to write to it and sing to it was just, like, it was... And it still is like the cool it 's one of the happiest I feel I think actually sent a demo before on the way here on the car. I was actually like right, oh, so really? that 's why I asked you if you had to run right after we had oh, yeah tracks yeah. uh, on real quick but um that's it was it was they it was so over the top what they were doing, so I just had to like find interesting ways to do like parkour vocally to fit <laughs> in there properly, and then what you know i I didn't have experience being like a proper singer so I I didn't I, there wasn't necessarily rules that I knew to adhere to I don't think I would have adhered to them.
4: And we we also like on Crux we carved out space for vocals more than we ever did in the past because it was basically worked out like me and Nick were just writing shit and it was crazy drums crazy guitars we were just trying to like you know do everything we possibly can to make the record cool and then once John got to it it was basically like Good luck like there's like no fucking room for vocals in some of these sections, and we kind of like we already started like tracking drums and guitars over that, so with Crux, it was a whole different experience because we you know we made the room like we made sure the verse was you know a little bit easier to sing up, like a, a better chord structure, and choruses being more important and that whole nine because that's the music that we all grew up on is like pretty structured rock shit I guess like i like I love black crows I do. Um, Zeppelin, obviously, and just basically just good rock, you know? And then I do like my crazy prog shit from time to time. For me, it's always been like, it's either give me the craziest shit possible that's like death metal or like cryptopsy and animals as leaders or just the extreme end of it, or just give me some classic good shit, you know? It was like, kind of like a battle, I guess, for me. That's why Moontooth, I guess, just ends up being somewhere in the middle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to that first album like uh John what was it what was it like for you to cuz same thing with um Dance Gavin Dance like we we talked to their their second singer Kurt Travis and um so they had the the full album already written and they didn't leave they did it without considering a vocalist so cool. what was that like Coming on, like, what was your what was your strategy for especially someone you said you were a drummer before, yeah. and then you just picked up vocals?
3: Yeah, well, that's that's actually how I met Nick and Ray. Um, I mean, I when I was in high school, I I sang in a band that like it was comparable to like to, to the used, um, and uh, you know that <clears throat> you know that just kind of I just actually we played one show at a local church that did like punk and ska shows and. The stage fright was so bad that I quit. And um, <laughs> and then uh, I didn't play again for years, and then a couple years later, my buddy said, like, hey, we need a drummer. So I just started, you know, playing to songs in my headphones and learned that way, and uh, eventually joined a band with uh, my buddy Derek Smith. The band was called Rice Cultivation Society, which is absolutely brilliant, like, kind of like indie, mathy rock kind of stuff, like some of the most amazing music I've ever heard. Um, but we played with, their previous band, Exemption, at the Bitter End in New York City one night, um, which was soft <laughs> for me because it was just me and Derek, like guitar and drums, and we were playing like kind of mathy weird stuff. So it wasn't just strumming and simple shit, but I had to p- follow a- Exemption. So if <laughs> you've seen Nick and Ray do what they do in Moontooth, you can imagine what they were doing. I had to follow Ray and I had to use his kit, <laughs> which was like, oh, fuck me. you know? Um, but that's how I met him, and then Nick joined that band. Um, uh, sorry, I got into a little history lesson there, but um no, go for it yeah i, I you know I always like I wrote some of my own music and uh, and obviously sang to that I was just kind of doing it all myself and um, when I got their stuff i like I had been writing song writing drum parts and and writing my own songs, so I had experience writing material and uh, i just I saw it as a challenge because of how good the music was and what it. Did to me. It just like it just responded. You know, when you find music that just like I don't know why, but this speaks to me, and and that's what the music they were making did. So they'd send me these demos, be like, all right, what do you think of this? And I, you know, everything about <clears throat> what I went to do is like, all right, this is this is big, and like my voice didn't sound like it does now when I first started, before we played our first show and before we started really writing. You know, it just got there because like I I. As a vocalist, like the Led Zeppelin thing I mentioned before, like they all complement each other. And uh, Tool is another band, I think of that. Three, you know, three instruments, one singer, and they all rise to the same level and complement each other to an excellent level. And I was like, that's what I need to do as a singer. So that's really what was in my head. And I just, I just kind of thought of weird shit. And just, you know, kind (laughs) of.
4: We saw the first song that John ever recorded vocals over. We were talking about that the other day, (laughs) G-Spot.
3: Was that the first song ever? Yeah, yeah, I
4: remember getting the demo, or at least from my memory, it was just like, hey, put, let's put some shit on it. And like, you really? came, yeah, you came into the studio. I didn't know was the first one. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it was something else that wasn't like recorded before then, but um, yeah, I think that was the first one. We just had a demo, We like just me and Nick just played guitar and drums over it, and then you came in did the vocals on it. It sounded sick, but we never did anything with it. It does,
3: you know, I think about this song. All right, so here's an exclusive story. I don't think we, this has ever been told in an interview is why I it's a random like early demo Ooh. that never made it into a song. Um, but I go back to this and I'm like, that song's fucking it's, sick. It'd be pretty shoot, fun, but I, I had good. a d- early on. I had a dream um, about me and Nick were in a classroom. And this is when I had playing uh, been playing in the other band with Nick for a while. we were actually living in the same house, too, at the time. And um, I had a dream that we were in a classroom and the teacher was, like, getting every, all the kids, like, you have to fall in line and do this, and you have to do this report, and blah, 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 and this is, this is the only way you can make it. And Nick started protesting and kind of saying, like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do that. And she was like, you need to sit down and get in line and do that. And he stood up. he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I, like, looked at Nick, and nobody else was agreeing with Nick, but I stood up, and I was just like, he's right. That doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do that either. I'm with him, you know? And then we stormed out of the classroom, and then – so that <laughs> – that dream was the substance for that song which was the demo name was g-spot which had nothing to do with it's the not songs. sexual <laughs> or anything it's but, uh, the song
4: was in g that's all it was <laughs>
3: but that dream and those lyrics and you know that song was like uh, very telling of what we would do and just what subconsciously and consciously this this budding project was to me it was just this again very rock and roll idea of just being like you know what i'm I'm not going to just settle down and and get some job that I can't stand. And I'm going to do, I have a passion, you know what I mean? So I'm going to go for it. If I didn't have a passion, didn't know what I want to do, then yeah, I'll be open to try other things. But now I know I have something that makes me feel true joy, makes me feel alive, makes me feel free. So I'm going to fucking go for it. And in spite of the fact that you're staring me in the face and saying, you can't do that, you know, like, (laughs) that's
4: what they all sound like. That's pretty much our ethos as a band, you know. And the first time, uh, First time I heard John sing like in person, I think it was a Bitter End show. I think you were doing "Sunk Cold" by yourself, or was that the the billiards? Billiards. Yeah. Right. So I just remember like I was like getting a beer or something. I was like in the back of the room, and then I just I hear this voice. So I was like, "Wait, who the fuck is that?" Sounds like a like a forty year old blues man that's got like <laughs> s- fucking thirty years of road on his head and. I'd 30 years of roadhead? roadhead? Roadhead. 30 years of Roadhead. So when, when John was on stage getting blowjobs for 30 years, that's when it hit me. As was a 22-year-old. Like, as a 22-year-old. Yeah, exactly. So when he was eight, it was a weird thing. So we don't talk about that anymore. But yeah, he sounded, he sounded really fucking good. And then, then John sent us an email. Either that was before or after. He was basically just like, hey, guys, listen. So I just wanted to talk about, like, you know, doing vocals with you guys. So basically, I'm the guy. And I'm going to be in the band. And we're like, okay. I, was, I mean, it's longer than that. You can tell the story. but Exemption
3: ended, and then uh, I was already playing in a band with Nick and knew you guys well
4: and was a fan of your
3: music. Um, and you guys made it clear that you were going to keep going as a band. So I sent that message, you know, saying, like, I know I can do this. I was born for this. And then that show... Uh, that was my own solo project. I had some buddies playing with me. Um, was almost kind of like a tryout because uh, <laughs> that was you gonna be your y'all's first
4: time like hearing yeah. me sing and whatnot. But um, yeah, I was I was blown away for sure. <clears throat>
3: we got uh, we got onto a history lesson again. I'm sorry, guys. Here we go. It's, I'm just, I don't nah, even remember how this couple started. Stories like, I guess you you were asking about like w- w- my mentality when those first you know that first album and whatnot. But I think we got it in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
4: It's five answers for one question.
1: Hey, uh, <laughs> plenty of times somebody will give an answer like that and be like, oh, what was I answering again? I'll be like, I don't know. I was, I was really enthralled by your story. So. <laughs>
3: so how was having Moontooth on your podcast? Like, oh yeah, it was great watching John and Ray fucking have beers and reminisce about their fucking <laughs> The Glory <laughs> days. Oh, I remember yeah, really really when we first met.
4: Fucking
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Back in my day... Um, yeah, so let's, I want to kind of get into the uh, the drumming aspect of the, you know, your your transition. Yeah. Uh, from So how did, like, uh, Chroma Paragon's drumming differ from uh, Crux's drumming?
4: A lot of it on uh, Chroma Paragon was basically doing whatever the fuck I wanted, because, uh, like I was saying before, like, me and Nick were writing parts, and then John was coming in writing vocals, and then we just, like, we were just really impatient back then. So we were just like, All right, let's just like start recording drums and guitars and then like we'll figure out the rest, basically. <laughs> I mean we had a lot of songs down and then we were like kind of working through the rest of them. We just wanted an album out because like we put out the first EP and then just started playing shows. So by the time we got to the second record, it was we were just impatient, like I said before. But by the time Crux came around, it was more of it was more thought out. And I was trying to make my uh, like multiple different areas of my drum parts like just be remembered and not just be doing the flashiest flashiest shit all over the record because that 's cool, and especially live, I can kind of embellish fills and stuff more, but when it comes to the song i 'm basically just trying to not ruin the song with drums because if you 're just doing drum fills and like whatever the fuck you want over the song if you 're trying to make a good song or a good rock song or whatever you want to call it, it just gets annoying, especially for yeah. I mean, for drummers, they'll, they're psyched about it, but for, like, the rest of the world, you know, they're like, why, yeah. you know, if you're playing all these drum fills, I can't fucking hear the vocals or understand what's going on. So that was a challenge for mixing Chroma Paragon. But, um, so I, you know, as, like, a producer, engineer, I know what drum parts are going to sound good. Like, if you listen to the Black Album or something, like, what is, what is Lars doing? Just boom, bah, boom, boom, bah. That's why the drums sound sick, because he's not he's not playing a bunch of crazy fast shit, you know? So it's the balance of like keeping the song in time and structured nicely. And then also doing something interesting on top of that. So that's that was the challenge for Crux is like to kind of back off a little bit, but not do something that is boring, you know, and lame. Yeah. But for, for us, it's like, you know, if I play a basic rock beat for, a minute, it's like, all right, well, this is getting, you know, this this is getting a little boring, so, you know, try to spice it up without, you know, without compromising the song, which is basically my main focus for the record. And then now we work together, and, you know, we talk about everybody's parts, and just work for the song and for the band, you know, because, like, Moontooth is, like, bigger than the four of us now because there's a lot of people that, a lot of people (laughs) that, like, that enjoy our music. So it's kind of like it's getting to this bigger thing, but it still all comes down to like, what are the four of us like? And that's what we're going to do, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters is you doing you. It's kind of like, a, yeah. obviously, this is a, this pales in comparison, but like for our podcast, you know, like we're just kind of doing what we want to do. We're talking to the people we want to talk to. We're, Exactly. Um, and you know, we had one of um I don't know if you guys know Closure in Moscow, but
4: um mm, no, I'm not familiar. We
1: had the they're pretty cool. <laughs> they're a post-hardcore band. I would uh they have this album Pink Lemonade that's like um like a it's kind of has the Chroma Paragon feels of mm-hmm. just like the mass chaos, but like, you know, very well focused and there's there's like a little more bluesy aspect. But anyway, he's just saying, like, you know, if you just do good shit, like, just do your own shit, like, I mean, it takes luck to get to that next step. But if you're if you're doing something special and people find you, then that's like how you you will truly blow up. And I
4: yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's always a balance of like being good at what you do and luck. You know, because you could. There's a million musicians out there, or artists, painters, whatever, that are really good at what they do, and nobody hears about it because of a million different reasons, or it just didn't. It wasn't the right time, or it wasn't promoted, or you always find these like little gold mines here and there for like amazing artists. But
3: I think another thing to say on that that I've always thought is that um, um, as as y'all have been saying, like there are so many different things. You know what I mean, like. I don't quite believe in luck, but like a lot of it is, you know, just like the the luck of the draw or whatever you want to call it. But um, I think one unbreakable, you know, thing you can have in your arsenal is, is truth. Like if there's an artist of any kind, if you have some kind of unique truth, that's absolutely undeniable. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to blow the fuck up on a monumental level but it means that like if you have a truth then there are people out there that will f- recognize that truth and you know see find a kinship in that truth and like any of the greats you know that's what that was it was a truth it wasn't just somebody you know there are people that will have there are bands that will have long careers and uh, that you know don't necessarily sound unique or anything like that, but, you know, people dig it and they like the music and whatever, and that's fine, but like, you know, the greats, it's they had something true and undeniable and that was like, it was only them that could have brought that about. But yeah, the truth, it, it, it's, it's gotta be that. Like, the that's strongest perfect. thing you can have as an artist is if you're listening to yourself and you're being true. Because if you're trying to mold your sound to something it's just not going to be as great as you can be. It might work. might make you successful, but you might not have longevity. You might not – I don't know. its I guess at the end of the day, it's a matter of your own goals. But, yeah, truth in, in art is an undeniable thing, you know?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that um, you guys do that I – before, like, the whole 2020 end-of-the-world pandemic thing came on, I just felt like there was a lot of um, – civil unrest and I just remember, you know, back in the nineties we had Rage Against the Machine. We had I was gonna say Audio Slave, yeah. but <laughs> still <laughs> more Tom Morello. But we had a lot of um Ugazi. protest music and like we were gonna interview um one of my friends in this band called uh Sharptooth and so they're very political and I was <coughs> just like the thing was like I was always why aren't Artists putting their their feelings into music is it like too safe? Where you guys, I like really appreciated the fact that like whether or not I agree with an artist's political stances, I think it means a lot more to put your how you feel about a certain topic into your music rather than just tweeting about. It. Like I feel like you guys, of course, will put your money where your mouth is.
4: Yeah, I mean that was that's always been a big part of our shit. Like. I don't know. It's especially if you have like you have a platform to inform people of your beliefs. Like, if people want to listen to it, they can. If they don't, they don't have to listen to your music. You know, it's not like we're, a you know, it's not like we're fucking CNN or something where we have to be biased. Like, we could just tell people whatever the fuck we want to tell. You know, if they want to listen to it, cool. If they don't, whatever. Yeah, it's your I story. Think, yeah, yeah.
3: I think a couple of good things to mention on this topic is, is, uh, one, first of all, like kind of the reason that we include that in our music is that a big deal is what ray had to say like if we have a platform like yeah i mean we should be addressing some things that should be addressed Uh, another thing is that a lot of the times it gets lumped into being something political but if if you've you know a lot of that hasn't made it into our songs some of it has but um even the stuff we talk about publicly on social media and whatnot, and the conversations we start, we try to open up. Um, you know, it's it's when I think of like, oh, that's political. That to me, that makes me think of like, Democrats' views on the economy versus like Republican views on the economy or taxes or something like that. And a lot of the shit that we're talking about and you hear in these protest music it has a lot more to do with groups of people being, you know done like injustice being done to groups of people based on their race, their their gender, their sexual orientation, stuff like that and the people that don't want to fucking hear it, they call it like, oh, well, like, well you got to bring politics into this. Like I'm not talking about politics, man. I'm talking about like like a like a human a, rights. Yes, exactly. That, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and especially the fact that like we're four straight white dudes, you know what I mean? Like I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that like the shit that we're talking about is shit that like we for the most part have not had to deal with you know what i mean and like that's part of the problem and and another thing to mention on this which i i have to absolutely say is that like you know we we you know talk about this stuff sometimes we have some song material on this on these topics but like i'm i'm not well educated you know what i mean like i i don't claim to be have any like depth of knowledge i just like yeah. i can understand injustice when I see it and I can also understand you know the fact that like I if I have the luxury of not having to address this stuff because a lot of these issues like I won't have to face because I'm a straight white dude and like these you know what I mean I think that's fucked up you know so
1: yeah well I think it's um really interesting that you guys like you know, I'm not not saying that you guys are like a necessarily small band, but you're not you're not Taylor Swift. No. So like they're <clears throat> so you were doing it before it was like, you know, cool. Yeah. Or like, well <laughs> now everyone's super pissed off. So yeah. I that was disrespectful. I didn't mean it that way. But like it's a lot it's a lot easier to like to, to post Black Lives Matter in your Twitter feed than it was a year ago, especially like, you know, when Crux came out and
3: um, yeah, that was fucking before anything like with George Floyd. It's, it wasn't before any of this stuff had been happening because obviously this stuff, especially like the killing of like innocent black people by police officers specifically, like obviously this shit has been going on as long as we've been a fucking country. You know what I mean? But yeah, um, yeah to think about like, you know, one of the, the first times we kind of talked about this stuff was just when Trump was getting elected. And that was just because. Based off of the fucking rhetoric that he was stirring up with, you know, Wall. fucking proud yeah, boys exactly. <laughs> and, and all the racist, like, you know, oh God. But <clears throat> uh, I was just gonna say another thing about that. Well, um, one more thing I wanted to say about that was like, in terms of putting it in the music, um, one, I think there is a responsibility to to, to a degree, and also. Um, I I had a friend of mine who, like, we don't share political beliefs, and I don't know. He, like, he goes red in some ways, and I think that, like, he looks – it's like what I was saying before. He looks at it as a political thing, and I'm kind of looking at it as a human rights thing, and I don't think he gets that. Anyway, um, but we you – know, you know, one time he said to me, you know, when it came on the topic of musketeers – which is a song about showing solidarity with people of color, oppressed people of color specifically, and and mm-hmm. people of different sexual orientations and gender identities and so on and so forth. Um, you know, you know, he says, just like I just don't think, you know, he's like, it's a good song, but it's like, you know, I just don't think, like, you, I don't think you should be singing about that stuff in the songs. I think just like leave the politics out of it. And first of all, like. Everything I said about it being called politics—that's one thing aside. But what I also said to him was like, you know, I didn't—I didn't say this to him. I thought about it afterwards <laughs> after we he's yelled at each other for two hours. Um, but just uh, <laughs> don't
1: give him this podcast link. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, what I thought about it was just like, I don't—I didn't listen to the people that told me like, you can't be in a band. You have to get on full time with the job so you can get benefits. And then you got to settle down and find somebody to marry and have a wife and kids. Like I didn't listen to people trying to force me to do that. I love rock and roll and I love creating. I love being an artist because an artist is an explorer. They explore their own truths and who they are. So if I don't listen to you when I want to fucking sing about space dragons, why the fuck am I going to listen to you when I'm singing about like, you know, like wow, there's a fucking racist pig in the White House right now, and and it's a representative of. A lot of horrible things ingrained in this country's history, you know, like, I'm like, you can't, you can't fucking rock out to me when I'm singing about me having my heart broken and say like, yeah, I like that. He sung about having his heart broken. But then if I sing about, you know, my opinions, you know, with civil rights, you can't say like, I don't think you should sing about that. You can't fucking pick and choose, man. No. Say whatever the fuck I want to say.
2: And, I'm going to j- jump in here and just point out that, I, you know, I'm, I also kind of, as you're saying that, I also realized that uh, when you think about it, you know, people are saying, you know, like, oh, stick to music, don't talk about politics. But politics and music have been intertwined for a long time now, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have, you know, all the protest music of the 60s, and, you know, it's not like this is new and just coming out of nowhere. Yes, yeah, but I feel, like, I feel like I feel like
1: that sentiment has died a little bit. Like, people are just, you know, because everything's so polarizing. Like, people are afraid to... to no, yeah,
4: something. exactly.
3: like so just because this challenges your fucking, like, safe white existence <laughs> that you've never had to think about any of these things and you don't want to hear about it now doesn't mean, like, you can tell me to fucking not sing about it or just, like, shut up and play guitar or anything like that. Like, the only reason you're hearing me is because I had the guts... To say and do something that you didn't have the guts to do, or perhaps didn't have the passion for, you know. I think for a I lot of say
4: called guts. You know? Yeah. Now I think for a lot of bands it ends up being, you know, once the music industry shifted and music was free, it's like if you're going to open up a fucking pizzeria and then all of a sudden pizza's free, like why would you do that? But so now <laughs> we're all in this position, and people are just trying to be safer and safer and safer, and just like just give people, give people something like. That is tried and tested. Do the do the same song structure and this and that, and you know, don't do anything too complicated, and keep your lyrics about like beer and like missing your home and tonight. whatever else, and tonight and party and whatever the fuck it is. Just so everybody from your parents, your grandma, and a fourteen-year-old kid like your music. You're broadening your audience. I mean, it makes sense for people that are you know after music to just make money and not really express them yeah it's fucking mcdonald's it's apple pie it's fucking mcdonald's
3: here's something sweet dumbass eat it up (laughs) it'll make you fat and it'll kill you when you're 45
4: yeah because there's yeah there's there's formulas for you know what sells and that and bands are just constantly sticking to that more than ever now just because it's you know they just want to get a couple you like all right i'm just gonna hit a million streams and they'll be able to fucking, you know, do this and do that and we'll have more more money for this and whatever, but it's, once you get to a point where, like, you can get a couple checks in the mail because you wrote a song that's, you know, really, it just kind of resonates with millions of people, then you don't really want to stray from that too often. You don't want to, like, alienate your Republican candidates. They don't, your, they don't yeah. want it. This is not what I'm saying for us. <laughs> be clear. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, the yeah. yeah, exactly. But there's a lot of people that do that and then they don't want to alienate people. So and it just ends up being very safe and predictable music.
1: Did you guys ever feel any like trepidation or any pushback from your label for your your messaging? No, no well, not. not
3: I mean, it's only been. So we're on Pure Noise Records and they picked us up after we released uh, Crux initially. Initially, we released Crux under uh, Modern Static Records. Two really good friends of ours, Tom and Travis, absolutely wonderful people, uh, both involved in the music industry, and they started up this label. And you know, they're kindred spirits. You know what I mean? When we we had this record, and and a lot of labels didn't want to jump on it because they're like, oh, well, yeah, this is really cool, but uh, you know, it's not exactly sounding like what's selling. So we can't, you know, or for whatever reasons, you know, Tom and Travis were like, just like, fuck this, let's just do it ourselves. You know, which has been our mentality from the get go. So that's how we initially put out crux. And obviously they, you know, you know, they're they're like brothers to us, so we share a lot of the uh same viewpoints. When we got picked up by Pure Noise, um, <clears throat> you know, they already had Crux, you know, they've heard some new stuff from us, but you know, I've you know, I've seen them, you know, being vocal about, you know, these issues before, you know, and, and donating to charities and, and whatnot, and that you know I don't th- think I can't imagine they would ever do that because they you know they themselves support the organizations and the and the issues that we support. Um and uh and and beyond that, you know, Pure Noise has been awesome to us. Like they they pretty much, you know of course we didn't know what to expect when going into a label. We're like, are they gonna fucking fight us on everything? But when we've kind of suggested things, I'm like, Yeah, cool. So they're they've been really fucking rad and uh and it's cool to see a, a record label, you know, standing up for, you know, Human rights is not politics, you know. Standing yeah. up for proper human rights, yeah. you know.
1: Cool. So we like to get into like the process of of the music because everyone's like, "Hey, what's your?" I'm gonna cut this out because I, I'm definitely patting myself on the back. Right <laughs> now. Um, but like, you know, you hear a lot of interviews, like, "What's your favorite moment on tour?" Like, we're that's that's like a cute question, but. So we kind of want to get into, like, your, um, you know, recording. Like, I, I was reading in that uh, Roller S- Rolling Stone interview that uh, Through Ash was kind mm-hmm. of a, a hard thing for you. Like, we, we've been talking to other musicians who um, talked about, like, how the producers affect their albums. But I think this would be really cool to hear, like, a specific example about... Um, you know, how your producer can can shape your ideas. Yeah.
3: Well, so with, with Through Ash and, and with Crux, we worked on pre-production uh, for Crux because Ray recorded and mixed and mastered the whole album. Um, but we did pre-pro with uh, Mark Morton and Machine. And uh, <clears throat> that was the first time that we ever had anybody, an outsider, come into the creative process which was difficult because one, the four of us had never done that before. We didn't really know how to do that. The four of us are also very like, we're very efficient. I'll say it. it's a little cocky, but we're <laughs> very efficient, but we're also very, you know, strong willed. And, you know, I'll speak for myself. I am very <clears throat> stubborn and I don't like too many cooks in the kitchen. And you know what I mean? Like I, I think most of the cogs that were thrown in, not cogs but the wrenches that were thrown in the wheels were like for me and and having a hard time letting somebody come in and change shit cuz some of that material we had written for a long time and um so it was a learning absolutely a learning experience to to learn how to do that but because it was a learning it was it was growing pains man you know like it was it was kind of traumatic to see somebody take your babies and just and you know, touch them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, put their hands all over them and change them around. You've grown to love them as they are. And, and uh, yeah, I and, think the
4: uh, the worst, I guess, the worst part about it is if you had a song like dialed in, at least with four people that you was dialed in for two years or something that you've been playing live, um, and then you know somebody works with you and starts changing some things around. It feels it feels a little bit different than if it's a newer song and you just wrote it two weeks ago, and it's like, all right, well, we're not super attached to this because we just wrote it, we changed the structure around, like, you know, a few weeks mm-hmm. before we got into pre-pro, which happened for a few of the songs. But, I mean, coming from my perspective as a producer, it's always, like, I know what I could do for other people and their music because I've never, I've never heard their music before. It's not like I've been with them in the jam room like I am with Moontooth, and working through songs and changing structure and vocals and drums and guitars. So by the, some, by the time somebody already goes through that process, they've, they're already ingrained, they've already talked about it, they've already kind of worked shit out. So when I hear it for the first time, I go, oh, uh, intro's too long, or you know, Something is, something's not quite right about this vocal melody, or whatever the process may be, because you know, I'm not, it's not my baby. Which, you know? which is a good
3: reason to involve a producer, an outside person, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to work with a producer, but if you want to invite somebody in, it's important to be open to those changes, which, you know, we're not... I mean, we knew, like, they you know (laughs) might want to change things around, but we we never, like, knowing, like, oh, yeah, working with a producer, adding, uh, inviting a fifth, and in this case, a sixth person in to change some things up, you know, like, obviously, they're going to want to change things around, but we didn't... We had never experienced what that felt like and and how to roll with the punches. Because I've done it
4: for... I've done it for other people's music, but like I said before, it's never my it's never my own shit. Or if somebody like hires me to play drums on their record and they say, yeah. Hey, uh this drum part's a little weird, I don't really like it, like it doesn't like I'm not like, oh my god, like I can't believe that you told me what to play. Like I'm there to do a job, I'm there to play drums on their record. If they don't like something, yeah, you know, I'm I'm getting paid for that. I'm getting paid to make their art happen and make that art as you know, happen and put it into reality and make it sure that their vision comes through. So uh, when somebody else does that, you know, it feels a little bit different when it's you know coming at you. But I mean, just being in the studio world, it's uh, I guess for me, it was I've done like all the Moontooth stuff before then and worked on my own music and whatever else. So I knew what they were going to do. It's, you know, tempo, song structure, guitar parts, vocal parts, drum parts, bass, whatever. Like everything is, you know, up to discussion, basically. And how do you decide
1: between, like, hey, we have this really great idea, and we think it works, and it's really fresh, and then you have a producer who obviously has this outside opinion, an expert in their own field, like, yeah. how, do you, how do you decide, like, where to draw the line between, like, this is us, this is what we're doing, and... Uh, the producer's kind of an expert in his field. I should probably listen to
3: him. It's I all don't know. Um, can you tell us? We're just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of trying to figure that out.
4: No, it's it's <laughs> all funny. up to yeah. It's all up to trust. You know, if you trust the person you're working with, and based off of whatever makes you trust them, their past records or you know their work speaks for itself. So if you like mm-hmm. their work, and you don't know what happened. So when we were working with the Machine, you don't know what happened when he produced Lamb of God or produced Clutch. All I know is that I liked those records. And I like those records better than other people that have produced those bands. Um, with the exception of Lamb of God. But um, So for me, it was, yeah, it was, like, all right, I already know that I'm going to listen to this guy. Unless it's, like, lame. Or it's a, just a, if all of us look at each other and go, ew, that's not a good idea. And he's all about it. But then you, if you, you know, you got four other people or five other people... Saying that's not a good idea, then we'll rethink about it. But if you know, if the producer suggests something that we all hear, and we're like, oh yeah, it's not what I did, but that actually sounds good, and then we'll I roll think, with it from that.
3: I think it's what's important to do, and this is coming from the person in the band. Like, I'll take full responsibility for like <laughs> I have the hardest time like letting somebody in do that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah. I th- it's detrimental when you're letting somebody change things just to change them and just because you're working with a producer, that's no good. But if you, if the goal is to have another voice, another perspective, kind of like what Ray was talking about before, like a someone you admire and an artist who you want to collaborate with, collaborate is the key. You got to let them collaborate, and part of that is like if you're bringing them songs that you wrote a year ago or several months ago or a week ago that you really love and they're they want to change it around, it's it's hard. You gotta first get over that first kind of like, oh fuck, you know, like take, you know, swallow it for a second, you know, like take a second and and step back, listen to it unbiased as you can and and think about like, okay, like is this does this work for a cohesive collaboration that we're trying mm-hmm. to do with working with this person? You know, and if it is, do it. You know what I mean? And you can, you know, it's, you know, you, you say goodbye to the thing that you loved and you make something different, something beautiful with somebody else who's the per- reason you're working with them in the first place. Yeah. You know, don't do it. Just if someone's, you know, kind of, again, what Ray was saying, like, if everybody just feels uncomfortable and doesn't like it, you know, don't do something you feel totally uncomfortable with. Uh, or I guess, no, what's the way to put it? Don't do something that compromises your truth, you know? you know, Because it's gonna be uncomfortable, but that, again, that's the role of the artist. If you're an artist, you're an explorer, and the whole point of being an artist is to explore and step outside of your comfort zones, so it's going to be uncomfortable, you know? But like, feel uncomfortable, let that hit you, go throw your tantrum, you know, whatever, and <laughs> then think about it. Outside of the tantrum and outside of that initial discomfort, if you listen to it honestly and you ask yourself honestly like am i upset because i really like that other part or am i upset because i think this sounds like shit and i don't feel comfortable being the voice of this part or this thing that they're trying to do you know and if you're uncomfortable and you feel like it's untrue to yourself then don't do it but if you know if you're just hung up on uh on uh you know because you know a part that you used to like that got cut you know like Remember, like you chose to invite somebody in and collaborate. You know, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: this well, is what well, I remind
3: myself of, and try. <laughs> to, you, know.
1: you just have it like posted on your wall while you're uh, you're recording. Yeah,
3: <laughs> calm down, John.
2: <laughs> I have a, I have a question about uh about the production end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this question kind of comes from you know an example with uh, with Dance Gavin Dance is their acceptance speech album. They've released two versions of that album because a lot of people felt that the the production on the first release kind of fell flat and the the re-release is unbelievable you know it, I have a friend that literally went from an album that he really didn't care for to it's now his favorite dance Gavin dance album yeah uh, just on you know I guess a remix remaster or maybe just even a remaster I'm not entirely sure but my question is you know is when those type of things happen is that just you know the band's vision not coming together you know like they thought it would is it a communication issue with the band and the production team you know where do where do those issues come from
4: so i mean yeah when you're producing a record there's there's so many different variables um so it could be a multitude of different things like it could be communication error it could be um it could be budget constraints it could be um, it could be uh the producer just got divorced, and he's, or he or she is just not a good fucking place and or the band and the producer just didn't align up, like everybody goes, okay, so we want this band, whoever it is, we want to go home with this dude because he produced uh, six albums, and half of them got grannies, Grammys and this and that, and uh, you know on paper, it makes sense, like, all right, this band, this person, let's make it happen, and then sometimes it just doesn't or it's sometimes it just, they don't click and then there's fights in the studio and this and that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about human beings like every, you know, producers are artists as well. You know, they have a job to do, but you know, they have to, you know, spread their wings a little bit and create while they're in the middle of the process. And if what they're doing doesn't quite align with what the band wants, then it's, it turns into a battle where the band's pulling a record into a different way and the producer doesn't want that. And it's pro- you know, pulling into a different direction and then you end up with a compromise. So mm-hmm. sometimes a compromise is not good. Where it's like if you would have just either the band is gonna do their own record or the producer is gonna do what he or she feels fit for the band because, you know, there's sometimes uncomfortable decisions where, all right, you know, we got a bass player that loves to sing this one song and it doesn't sound good and the band loves it and the producer is like, how long have you been singing? Uh. Three weeks. And then you, as a producer, you have to make an uncomfortable call and say, hey, listen, like, your lead singer sounds better than this person. And then if the band doesn't want to do it, then you end up with a song that for the rest of the world, they don't know who's singing that song. They just hear it and like, why is that not good as a third song or something like that? So there's, there's so many different things that can make or break a record. And once again, it's just human beings and their emotions and wherever they're at at that point in life. But um, as far as, like, remixes and stuff goes, I mean, some bands do remixes so they can get off a label <laughs> or just uh, <laughs> not, you know, if they just got their rights back to a record or something, hey, let's remix it and put it out so we own the masters and then we can sell these records, press vinyl, press CDs, and then make all the money off of it. Um, there's also yeah, that Yeah, Dance side Gavin
1: Dance is more into uh, pandering to their really, really... Uh, I mean, I don't speak badly about it yeah, us, I'm not saying that's what they did, but yeah. no, we're we're a terrible community, and <laughs> <laughs> very very loyal, but like we say too much, but I guess you know inter- the internet yeah um so have you personally run into things like that where like when you were producing like you experienced a lot of pushback from a band that you were just like, oh, they're You're doing it wrong.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna tell somebody that their, their songs are totally wrong or anything like that because, you know, that's, it's half of my job. Half my job is to, you know, take somebody's vision and make it a reality. Whatever that means, that means maybe, you know, there's too, there's too many guitar parts, or you got three guitar players and there's fucking 27 solos going at the same time, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, of course, especially when I was younger, like when I first started. Um, me and my partner Anthony here at Westfall uh, Recording Company, when we first started doing projects when we were like 19 or 18, like Mm -hmm. we kind of just, we didn't want to upset anybody so we didn't want to say, hey, you know this guitar part's a little weird or you know the drums are a little a little strange or just too too much. So we kind of just let certain projects fly and there was a bunch of stuff that we didn't like but we didn't want to upset anybody because we're 19 years old, like we don't You know, we we don't have fucking gold plaques hanging on the wall, like, hey, I'm fucking, I got 12 Grammys and this and that. And once you get yourself more established, you know, and you have some credits and this and that, then, you know, people hear your work, they like it and they take it more seriously. So it's a little easier to work with artists and kind of get your vision into the band as well, um, just because of that outsider perspective. You know, you've been listening to your own songs and playing in your own gigs and, you know, you don't really get brutal honesty from your friends because all your friends are gonna say, "Yo, this is fucking sick," you know. But if, <laughs> it's
1: it's hard to tell your friends. It is, like, yeah. Oh, like oh my, my gosh. gosh, Like, please don't post this. I'm so embarrassed for you. Yeah. and then exactly. You could you could be like, ah, oh, yeah, maybe maybe practice some more. But yeah. like all right, I'm gonna post this. I'm <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. No, it's
4: it's tough, but I mean, at this point, I've you know I've gotten a little little better at doing that with artists, especially from the experiences that we've went through. You know, as a band, um, just learning learning from other producers, and you know, when somebody has the the credibility to do that, you know, and they that's you know their only job, which is also, which is another thing. But you know, it's easier to work with bands, and if you give them suggestions, they might take your suggestions a little bit more than you know somebody like me that doesn't have Grammys, <laughs> but um, <laughs> not yet, not yet. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm confident in what I do and it's really all up to the relationship with me and the artist, me and Anthony and the artist of whether or not, how much they trust what we're doing and some, I mean, some people come in and we'll give suggestions and they'll look at us like we're fucking crazy. Not because the ideas are out there, but just how dare you? Like, how dare yeah. you even tell me to change one note? Oh uh, yeah, no, I like that. I understand and I think it's better. But I'm
3: not gonna do it because
4: I just don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's
3: that initial discomfort. Yeah, yeah, but
4: it's really uncomfortable to have like somebody come in because it's like who the fuck is this guy? Like who, you know, why is he telling me what to do with my guitar or my drums? Like, unless you trust the person, then it's not gonna work. Yeah. Uh
1: so I've actually really wanted to have a producer on for, for a while because so many it's like, um, I mean I play drums. Uh, Matt plays guitar, and our uh, our other host is a uh, he sings. Obviously, we're all we're all garbage compared to you guys, <laughs> <laughs> or just you know to any real musicians. No, but like, no. don't
3: shortchange yourself. Bro. Yeah, don't do that.
1: <laughs> you haven't heard me play. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, shit, where was?
4: Going with it. Well, if it's anything like your microphone stand, then maybe you got some problems. It? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Whoa. Sorry, know, that's a sick brain. It says
3: the guy who has a fucking recording <laughs> studio. <laughs>
4: do whatever you got to do to make this shit work. Sorry, bust your this balls. Is, this is
1: actually my uh, kick microphone sick. stand. My, <laughs> uh, my boom stand for my regular... So it's a screw-on mic, so yeah. this isn't working. But my other one, it, it came with this mic. And... Um, you know, while I was setting up last Friday, it decided that despite me never unscrewing it or screwing it in, it just got sh- – sh- it stripped It's going to fucking
4: strip, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter, like, if you buy, like, the most the most expensive microphone stands, which I don't. I get, like, shit – like, we constantly replacing mic stands because, like, if you just, you just twist it like crazy, somebody's, like, doing vocals and they just grab it and just fucking strip it. Like, it's going to happen. I have microphones – what mic stands with tape on them? So, <laughs> I'm just busting your fucking about Literally, there's one in the other room. It's fucking duct tape on it. So, We're, no, I'm I fucking yeah, with you. you. <laughs> what, Ray, why don't
3: you tell them about the microphone I was going to use, and why don't you tell them how I ended up using this for I, here? Yeah. So
4: I had a nice uh, SM7, and it has a buzz to it now. So it goes, right. so yeah. So I'm not that pro, guys.
1: Is that uh, <laughs> is that an SM58 over
3: there? Yeah, he's got a 58.
4: Unite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the two broadcast mics—the RE20 and the SM7. Fucking Joe Rogan's got the SM7s. They sound good, but it's just really buzzy today for some reason. I'll track with that a lot. Yeah, which
3: yeah. Is, you were saying before how it's like not as or that particular your your SM7 is not. I think an s- issue with I'm yelling my head off. Yeah, because
4: people like if we're tracking like a screamer or something, they just grab the mic, they want to take it off the stand, and they want to hold it and scream into it, and then we're done. They're Like all right let me come in and listen to the take, and they just <laughs> just throw it on the fucking ground so yeah that that's that's happened over the past few weeks, and now it's just has a buzz to it, so i gotta gotta get another one or fix it either way
1: yeah i mean this this guy if you if your mouth isn't over it, if you're not like fully eating yeah, yeah, ice, you have you, have to, you have to be in there <laughs> <laughs> which which is like hard because you know I'll be singing and playing while i 'm drumming, obviously still garbage that's but, tough. uh. <laughs> But you got to, like, it's hard to keep your head in this, like, so close to the microphone. Well, I i inherited a, uh, like, a 1975, like, Led Zeppelin steel, like, I literally have the biggest floor tom. <laughs> That's awesome. Not Oh, my floor tom is bigger than everyone's bass drum. That's my awesome. My bass drum <laughs> is the biggest one that Evans makes without special ordering it. That's awesome. So I have to... So I'm playing up here like all day. Which <laughs> yeah. Is really, really fucking. <laughs> do you have hard. your Do you have your go. mic
4: on your left side when you're playing drums and singing?
1: Yeah. You could do the fucking
4: yeah, the mastodon, where he has it like just literally hanging over his fucking head. But he sing he sings a lot now. He sings like full songs. But I usually have it to my left. I end up like doing that as I'm playing drums, trying to lean over, and then usually as I'm playing, if I don't tighten it enough, it just ends up floating away. So I have, to, <laughs> I have to grab it, like smack it with a stick to get it back in my face, and then it just just spins around in a circle. Yeah, the it's not sh- good. The
3: show that Ray was talking about when before Moon Two started, that he saw a sat, or he saw my band play. I was singing to the band, but I was playing drums too, mostly because like I couldn't find somebody to play drums with, so I just kind of like did it myself. But all that shit was just like trying to find the microphone, but still hit the beats and everything, and like. <laughs> So.
4: It's hard. Yeah, I mean, you did it really well. I feel like I can yeah. every once in a while go like, oh, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't I sing. full we'll Whenever sh- I sing.
3: played in that band, I definitely didn't sing as well as I could normally sing, and I definitely didn't drum as well as I could normally drum. <laughs> it's, Both yeah, it's of true. them went down just to meet in the middle and happen.
4: <laughs> because it's not even, yeah, it's hard to, Play drums and sing at the same time, but you're also dealing with like your physical body moving. So as you're playing, your yeah. vocals are just end up running like this. And you're like running. That's what your vocals sound like. It doesn't. You yeah, can't like no, keep a steady note.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's it's tough. <laughs> it's it's just like cracking me up because oh, actually, um, this is this is a good transition here to. John just, like, running around like a madman and then doing <laughs> vocals. So I saw you co- You guys came to um, Philadelphia. The, one of the last shows I saw before the world ended Dude. was was you guys yeah. at Moontooth. Uh, Milk Boy? Milk
3: Boy, yeah. Oh, was that one? That was like our last show. Yeah. Before the pandemic. Was it? That was that's our literally last, the last show. show. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, did we talk at that show?
1: We did. I have a, I have a picture with you. Oh, that's shit. right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <Okay. laughs>
3: Can't remember my own mother's birthday, so don't feel bad. <laughs> no,
1: it's. I mean, I don't. I don't expect you to remember being like, "Hey, you want to take a shot in a picture?" And you're like, "Yeah." So that was uh, a great show,
3: man. You guys had a lot of fun. De-
1: destroyed it, but I just remember, which I'm like a little pissed that I was reading some articles and someone, like, basically jacked my, my story for this one. My lead in was just that, like, I just remember you being in the crowd at the with the opening band, just like. Fucking going crazy and running around and and I was just like, oh man, this like I love Moon but there is no way that this guy will be able to to sing a full set <laughs> yeah. after running around. Ra- Cause I've I've seen like very active singers on stage, like um, the band Finch, for example, where Nate runs around, like physically runs around the whole time, and he. By the end of the show his vocals suck because he's just exhausted and I was I assumed the same was gonna happen for you and I was like this guy doesn't even care <laughs> and then and then you got up there and like if I was wearing panties they would have dropped like you <laughs> like you fucking got up there and I've actually never seen anyone with so much I guess the the term they would have used back in the day be like mic control like literally your stage presence and your your vocals like while jumping around and nodding your head and doing this that and the other thing like your vocals came out just like honestly i didn't think you could do your own vocals live because they're just (laughs) so impressive in general and then after running around and then you did them i was just like
3: shit (laughs) (laughs) thanks man um well you know it's it's really like I can only speak for myself um I I've never been like trained as a singer um so there's a lot of things that I really can't speak to or or understand um but I don't know when it comes down to it like it, part of like my mentality on the day to day is like I, I very much believe in just the idea of, like, find a way to get it done. If you got to fucking move a cabinet through a door that looks too big to make it through the door, or looks like, how the hell am I going to get this cabinet out when I really clearly need two people? You just find a way to get it done. And that that was that is 100% like the attitude of, like, Nick and Ray and, like, the caliber of musicians that they are. Like, Thanks, bud. I knew coming in, like, this is top-tier shit, and I have to be, like... I got to be fucking Jordan for this. So that has been present not only in what we were talking about earlier in in terms of the writing, but in terms of the performance too. And uh, I don't know. I've just kind of found a way to make it happen in terms of like, you know, going ape shit and still hitting the notes. I mean, as a person, I've got a lot of energy in general. So that like helps the type of person I am, I'm sure. Um, But uh you know, obviously you find the spots, you know, there are certain things on the album where like, you know, might not sound as pristine, but none of it does. And that's the whole point of like our live shows. Like it's a rock and roll band. It's a rock and roll show. It's not going to sound as pristine as the uh, as the album. But like, um, yeah, I, I view my performance as a singer without any instruments in this band. My performance when we play live is not just my voice. The voice, it's very important. If I sound like shit, I mean, there are plenty of bands where the singers like will kind of sound crappy, but like they're going apeshit and it's still such a great live show like, you know, but I want it to be like, I want to hit the notes. I don't want to be flat. I, wa- I don't want to be missing every third line because I'm trying to take a breath. I want to get all those notes. So I just find a way to find the breath. But beyond that, part of my performance is what I'm doing physically and emotionally representing, you know what I mean? I have to, with my body and my face and my mood and my actions physically, like I need to be that song. That's what the live performance is. It's the song Come Alive. So I don't believe personally in just hitting the notes and when I'm not singing, taking back, like I have, it's, it's a policy of mine that I, I, I don't think I've, i I might have done it maybe once if I've been sick or something, but I never mid song, I won't drink water during a song, I'll wait till in between songs to do it because I don't want to get out of that thing. Like when I'm, when the song's happening, I'm not just a person singing the song. I am the song just as Ray and Nick and Vin are the song and we're come alive and that's what makes a great live show. It's having that song explode into reality and not just on someone's headphones. So, yeah, it's it's all incredibly important. You know, that said, it's, it's important to like take care of yourself to a degree. I don't do a great job of that, but I, I always make sure to like you gotta be athletic in that you make sure you're able to do your fucking job on that stage because people are coming. You know, to see you, they paid money for you. They they've got something positive about what you're doing. So, like, if you're not giving them in your all, then fucking go home, quit.
4: You know, everybody's got their tour shoes on. Like, yeah. a week into it, <laughs> yeah, the first first shows three in, days yeah, are a little you're rough. Like a
3: motherfucker, but uh,
4: never drink the first day
3: is the rule, but that is always broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know, have a beer, you don't know, have a cup. Just one two, beer. Two shows that you drink the most. Um, the first show and the last show. I've told you. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's always the last, as long as they're not like a 24-hour drive the day before, or the day after. But even so, still be all right. But yeah, I, I can't. I can't do that shit anymore because, like, especially like when we first started, we we're like, "Yeah, dude, sick. wrong are tour first night. We're fucking. I'm gonna go party because in is like fucking two in the or five in the afternoon the next day." But as soon as we started getting on like a little bigger runs. You know, they're all their load-ins, like they have bus drivers, they have people that they get on the bus and shit starts rolling at like bus call one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. They got on the bus, they have a beer, they fucking watch, I don't know, Wolf of Wall Street or whatever. And they wake up in a new city at nine AM and then load-ins fucking, you know, ten or eleven in the morning, sound check. But for us, it's like, you know, we don't have a driver or a bus or anything yet. So the last few tours we did was, you know, we gotta play the show, and then Somebody's got to start driving immediately because you can't just like, if you go to a hotel, if you have an eight hour drive to do and you only have, you know, 12 hours to do it, that's going to take 12 hours because you're going to stop. Even if you pull over to the side of the road for two hours of stationary sleeping, because otherwise you're in the van, every time you hit a bump you think it's the last fucking day of your life, but um, (laughs) yeah, it it can be scary, but
3: going back to what you were asking about like the way, the way that I perform and, and, and make my vocals happen live it's like it's also a different thing because like I'm singing like this way in moontooth and we're a very energetic live band so I can't speak to other acts that are maybe softer or, or you know quieter or don't where the where the songs w- don't make sense for you to be jumping around the mood or emotion of the songs you know what i mean but uh it all comes down to like responsibility. And this is a whole nother conversation about like why you would even be in a band in the first place. It's like, what are your goals? You know what I mean? If, like, if your goal is to just like get fucked up and like play shows and have a good time and you don't give a shit about how you sound, like that's fine, but like we do give a shit how we sound. And on top of that, you know, we do want to have fun and we want the crowd to have fun. So it's all about just like, you know, respecting your body at the bare minimum to do your job <laughs> really fucking well you know <laughs> which we you know i think we put ourselves through enough abuse and and definitely like the intensity of the music and in general and and how intense tour is no matter what kind of music you play you got to learn to love the abuse and live with it and thrive off of it and work with it you know it's it becomes the abuse itself it becomes another member of the band you know <laughs> that's deep <laughs>
1: Well, I just felt like during your show, you guys, like, it's gonna sound trite, but I felt like you guys believed in what you were doing and what you were singing, and like, of course, um, you did. I, I mean, maybe I understated the amount of like, how how good your stage performance like actually was because I've seen, you know, I'm a, I'm a music junkie, like obviously I have a music podcast, like we're. I will see as many concerts as I can in a year. I don't care who's going through like good music, bad music, I'll see it live and see how I feel about it. But like you know, I feel like my my fiance Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See, You're still I
4: here. still have connection. <laughs> <laughs> that happened earlier. Yeah.
3: If you leave this in the podcast, we have to explain that. Like, <laughs> Matt, got, Matt got dropped from the call when he said the word fiance. So we were like, oh, that's the naughty word. Don't say fiance. <laughs> it's not speaking ill of anyone's fiance, actually.
1: <laughs> I mean, the only ill speaking about my fiance, I'll say,
3: she's from careful violent. Oh, shots fired. Shots fired. Yo, you better hold up right now. Where's she, what, uh, where's she from? Wait, oh, I don't know if you want to broadcast yeah. that. <laughs> what's what's her address
4: and what's her phone number and what's her name right now?
1: Her name is mm. Becky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is also the, the second person I've dated in a row from Long Island where after I broke up with the, the last girl, I was just like, oh, thank God. I don't know if you guys made the drive before from Jersey to Long Island, but it it's is a hike. Mm, yeah. It should take about an hour and a half, but it'll take you four. Never, We've (laughs) driven
3: many times cross-country through Canada, all over the states, and we can say unbiased, even though we're from Long Island, we have seen more than enough of this entire country to know that Long Island has the worst drivers, and that's a huge part of the flight. Long Long Island, (laughs) if not Jersey,
4: but... I think it's, I think Long Island, Long Island takes the fucking Florida, cake. Maybe, but like Long Island, well, well yeah. fucking people I'll in I'll Florida from New York. North Jersey. Yeah, North, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, not South Jersey. You guys.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'd rather be called a hick than being like an aggressive like, yeah, Asshole. so what? My tractor drives slow. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I just, uh, I just moved to Brooklyn actually last weekend uh, with me and my check right shoulder, check left shoulder, fiance. <laughs> okay, still on the oh, podcast. Oh shit, they cut up Matt. Now, <laughs> only you get cut up. I'm say fiance, but yeah, I mean, so far I almost got run over my motorcycle twice on the sidewalk. Just dudes just blazing like 45 miles an hour on the sidewalk. So that's a new one. <laughs> and I've counted. Oh, I've counted the amount of BMWs that don't signal. I know that's like it's supposed to be a fucking meme or a joke, but it's intense. <laughs> Yeah, for this, the, over this the this past is. four days, there's been five BMWs that hasn't haven't singled and signaled and like blew me off. Oh, the they're road. single. <laughs> yeah, they're all <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> single. Yeah, it's intense though. That drive's not that bad.
1: So, uh speaking of your live performances, uh you guys just did a, a live stream of your um, acoustic album plus. Two covers and Musketeers.
4: Yes. Um, yeah. Violent Grief was the name of the acoustic selection that we did. So we originally we just gonna do like uh, just a live performance of it, or you know, basically what we did. Like the in the studio video was the one that we released, and then
1: yeah, that's what we were expecting.
4: Yeah, and then COVID happened, so we were gonna ha- we had this whole thing planned where like there was gonna be you know human beings there, and that didn't really work out for the past six months. <laughs> <laughs> so we just ended up just putting out an EP, just because like we couldn't tour, we were there's not really much else we can do. So we figured, you know, making an official release and put out the EP. Another example of
3: pure noise was just like fucking dope, cool, do it, you
4: know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was no pushback. They're just like, all right, sick, it sounds cool. Let me know when it's done. <laughs> Shane and I are pretty obsessed
2: with the uh, the acoustic version of Ah uh, at All Angles. Thanks, man. That's, Unbelievable! It's amazing. Um, I, I was just telling Shane uh, earlier in the week. We were talking about it, and how like every time I listen to it, I get I get chills. Awesome. <laughs>
3: Still, like at you the probably, 150th. You should lesson. probably get tested, yeah. dude. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> you don't want to be oh, pitching shit. chills in 2020? <laughs> that might not be us.
2: <laughs> and the other thing, just just about the, the entire acoustic set in general how cool it is that you maintain the, uh, the amount of energy you have in your, you know, the regular original songs. It, they translate right to the acoustic really well. Yeah. they didn't awesome. lose
3: any juice or emotion. Yeah. Thank you. You know, we, we make the albums that we normally make. Um, but you know, we listen to so much our, our, what we enjoy, you know, and, and the music that influences us, whether we're aware of it or not is so varied. And, uh, uh, something I've said before in interviews is um, a song is almost just like a naked person. As I'm sorry to say this, <laughs> but like think of it this way: you know, a song is just like an entity, and you could that person can dress up in any kind of outfit. They could dye their hair a certain color. They could speak with an accent. You know, you know what I mean. There's a lot of different ways. So that's that's kind of what we were thinking with that. We you know we just wanted to explore different moods a little bit. Sometimes we wanted to keep it very close to the original. Sometimes we wanted to, you know, mess around with it a little bit. But, it, you know, the whole Acoustic EP was a great chance for us to show our different strengths and interests really,
4: you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we restructured a few guitar parts and obviously I wasn't playing a full drum set. Um, I never really, I never wanted to play Cajon. I was. Hold on, I need to interrupt you. Go ahead. Your live set made me so
1: mad. <laughs> Watching you do the shaker with your foot. I was just like, this is, this is fucking bullshit. Like, I could barely do what you're doing with your hands. And then you have this lateral movement with your fucking foot to get the shaker. <laughs> I, could, I could dream of doing with my hands. Sorry, continue. That's no, all <laughs> good. That, that was a lot of
4: fun, like, just having the shaker on my foot. Because on the actual Acoustic EP, I did um, cajon tracks. Then I did tambourine tracks, shaker tracks, and, like, clap tracks and some other weird shit. But uh, yeah. obviously, I can't clap, use a shaker and a tambourine and a cajon at the same time. I don't think anybody was upset on the live stream. but that's... I, don't,
1: I don't believe that you can't do that. Uh, maybe I taped the shaker, I
4: could have taped the tambourine to my left foot, but I don't think I really had that coordination yet. But <laughs> because everything on my right foot with the shaker is if you're on a drum set, obviously, your right foot is a bass drum. So I kept on, like during the first few rehearsals, I kept on hitting my right foot as a bass drum, and that's now my hi-hat basically. So my hi-hat's <laughs> on my right foot, my bass drum's on my right hand, you know, the cajon, like the you know, middle of the cajon for you people that... You lean
3: into this drop. <gasps>
4: <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that was a little bit of a learning curve, and if anybody doesn't know what a cajon is, it's just like the box. It's just literally a box. It has a fucking... You could tap on the front, it kind of goes boom-boom, and then you hit on the side, it goes slap-slap, so you got like <laughs> a, a boom-boom, slap-slap, it's like a kick-snare thing. Those are actually... Um, just from years of being a producer those are the technical terms for what a cajon sounds like just for any for anybody <laughs> that doesn't know i just wanted to you know lay that out in science terms
3: i think uh, i think what ray did on the cajon is a good example of like you know i'll <clears throat> i'm in the band but i I'll, I'll say this that like i think it's amazing what you did ray like on on like Thanks. seeing how you translated that cuz initially we were talking about like maybe we'll have like a kit and like put a shirt over the snare play with some brushes or something yeah. like that and like what you pulled off, which is the Cajon, was like, this sounds fucking perfect. You know what I mean? Like, nice. I couldn't have imagined being able to do that. Um, but it, it speaks to our ambition as a band to, like, seek out challenges and rise to them. Like, find things that we think, like, oh, how the fuck are we going to do that? And then that's the enticing factor. Let's do that. You know what I mean? Like, find mm-hmm. challenges you think you're incapable yeah. of and figure out a way to make it happen. And it goes back that's to. A great a... job of that. <laughs> Thanks.
4: It goes back to what John was saying before that, you know, if, if a song works in one style, then you can hopefully just push it to another style and it's not going to like fall apart, especially if it's not to tune my own penis or our own penises. But if he, if it's like a, he's
3: slapping boxes, he's tooting penises. <laughs>
4: <laughs> if it's like if it's an OK song to begin with, if you put Cajon Acoustic on it, like it should translate. I mean, we had to like change some tunings because Nick does a lot of weird tunings. Um, like a like a double A, <clears throat> where your two low strings are an octave away from each other, like it's D standard on the guitar, and then the low st- it's yeah double double G on the bottom. So like that doesn't work on acoustic guitar because it just sounds like a I don't know it sounds like a bridge cable farting or something. Just <laughs> doesn't really work. So we had to tune it back up into a normal tuning, and then just kind of strum it a little bit more because the more Intricate guitar work. I mean, he still he pulled it off amazingly on um, auto angles because that's all like guitar lead work the entire time. But the verses kind of like pulled back and just kind of did some traditional acoustic strumming. And I mean, amazing, Another main reason why we wanted to do this is because it depends on the venue and the show. But a lot of time, a lot of times, like especially in the past when you're playing smaller venues and bars, like John just got shortchanged, where the PA was like just a little shitty speaker and one of them didn't work. And then like, all you hear is just like over. Yeah. (laughs) You just hear some guitars, drums, maybe a little bit of bass and just like a dull roar of vocals. So, you know, I mean, that was obviously really frustrating for all of us, but especially for John, but this was a good opportunity. So like, you're going to hear him and he's, his voice is fucking crazy loud. If anybody's like, if you hear him singing in a room, he just sounds like a, like a freight train singing, if that makes sense. But it's like, yeah, he's he was louder than yeah, I was, everybody. I was in the room. there. Yeah. <laughs> There's been shows where, speaking of PA problems, where <clears throat> excuse me, where PA cuts out for any any particular reason. But um, if a PA cuts out or you can't hear something, he'll just fucking drop the mic, run into the crowd, and this is like you know earlier on, and just start singing and screaming in people's faces just so he they can hear him so like he'll go do a set in front of two people the next two people the next five people and just kind of like walk around the room and sing but so this was definitely a good opportunity for him to be heard yeah (laughs) i mean we're doing better on that lately with bigger venues and stuff yeah (coughs)
0: just
4: don't slap anybody's ass and you'll be uh Hmm. you'll be safe you should should be
3: well, now that you
4: said that, we probably <laughs> kind of have to explain that. this. Is, yeah. It was, go it was on. a show a story uh, probably
3: that. in our first couple of years of playing where uh, um, in Virginia. Amazing
4: venue, amazing people.
3: Yeah. Uh, at the time, it's oh, not going to a huge history lesson, but, anyways, <laughs> basically, yeah. one of our. I, I turned around at one point and. Uh, Well, first of all, I noticed like a mic had fallen over, so I went to fix it and I forget exactly what it was, but basically like in the midst of the song, I didn't realize that I was putting the snare mic on the amp or vice versa or something like that. So that's why I was fucked. And then like, you know, a couple seconds later, the sound guy came to fix it up. I didn't see him walk on stage and and do that. And from behind, he looked exactly like one of our good buddies. So I just ran up, <laughs> and I just, as hard as I could, I slapped him on the ass. Like, and, uh, so he was mad. And, uh, but it was, turns out it was the fucking sound guy, which I didn't, even when I slapped him, I turned around and kept singing. I still thought it was my friend. I, mean, I didn't know it was the sound guy. And so he cut the PA and absolutely refused to turn it back on. So just we had a couple more songs, and I just I sang the rest of the song just screaming in people's faces. and. Yeah, I mean that—that's
4: that was one example. I mean, but other, yeah, other times it was just like PA failure or just like you know it wasn't set up properly. But I mean that that guy was really cool about it. Kind of later because John was really apologetic. He was like, "Dude, I had no idea no, he it was wasn't, you." It wasn't.
3: No, no, he that guy wasn't cool. We you might be mixing up stories. That guy. Oh yeah, was, well, there's. I yeah, I went to great lengths afterwards to apologize and say I'm sorry. You were sorry. cool. <laughs> he was very, <laughs> butthurt. Dare I say <laughs> yes about it. Because uh, obviously, I would never disrespect us.: Yeah, of know, course. You're gonna slap like a sound
4: guy's, yeah. You know, the friend another. that I, whose
3: ass I thought I was slapping, would have just as easily slapped my own ass,
4: and you know. Yeah, we have that have known him for like seven years or yeah. six years, so like um, since day one. So.
3: Yeah, but I mean, it's like it, the the whole thing is like, even if they don't hear me, they don't hear me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's, It goes back to what we were talking about before. The performance is so much more than just the notes. You know what I mean? It was a great, uh, I think it was Miles Davis quote. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something about like, uh, it's like, you know, the, the note is 80% of it and, and the rest of it is the attitude of the motherfucker who plays the note, you know, yeah. or something like that. And we, we, we very much adhere to that philosophy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a very fond memory of... Uh you pulling out this, like, big-ass drum and just throwing the fucking uh, case down the steps because Moontooth was on level level two of that venue. And it was...
4: That was a great load-in. Oh,
3: God, yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> that was an awesome
4: show. It was rough load-in, though. That yeah, was, like, three fucking... Or two and a half flights of stairs or whatever it was. But I remember, like, getting the shit out of the car, like, taking forever to find parking. We double parked. We're like, all right, fuck Let's get everything up the stairs. Okay, there's another set of stairs. Okay, that's fine. And the third set of stairs. I'm like, all right, well, at least we're at the door to the venue. And you open the door, and the fucking venue is like, the stage is like another hundred feet across the floor. This is a (laughs) a (laughs) sick joke.
3: Though I will say, like, most of the staff at at Milk Boy treated us so well. Oh, yeah, great people. They took care of us. And we love Philly so much. Second home. Yeah, Philly's definitely one of our, our favorite places.
1: Are you guys just saying that? No, 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 really. It's no, like, yes, I really
3: it did kinda of sound a little sarcastic, but no, we fucking <laughs> Philly, Boston, I mean north it makes sense, Northeast. That those are the yeah. cities we cut our teeth touring in. Philly, and Boston, we, Chicago. We, some Philly bands and some Boston bands are like family to us now and <clears throat> some venues that we played there we absolutely love going to. That was our first time playing Milk Boy, but like I had such a great time there and and the fucking, like, they fed us well, and they took care of us, and, like, it was it was really awesome. And, I, you know, I'm not a big city guy, but Philly is the city that I would consider living in, for sure. Yeah,
4: everybody's just really down to earth, and that's as cliche as it is, but every, I don't know. There's, there's not a, as much of, like, a stuck-up attitude as, you know, when we were, like, cutting our teeth in Brooklyn, so to speak. Like, we played a lot of shows to folded arms, like, yeah, who the fuck are these guys? Like, are they good, or... <laughs> Does my does my friend like this band? Maybe if they nod their head, I'll start nodding my head. I'm right. band,
3: but I have a lot of fucking followers on Instagram. So. I got this Nobody really wants, yeah. cool like patched up jacket.
4: Yeah, so nice. I mean, that was that was a big part of like our you know starting our band as we're playing these shows on Brooklyn, like in Brooklyn and Long Island, to people that were just they were you know hard to get to. So you know, John's running around like a fucking crazy person. And I'm like throwing sticks around and crossing arms. Nick's jumping on shit just because like we were just trying to do everything we could just to get people to like give us a head nod or like raise an eyebrow like, yeah, this is pretty sick. There's two
3: parts. It was like everything we do live is definitely expressive of like I feel like I found the right three guys to be playing with because I found a kinship in them in that it feels like all of us have a fucking volcano for a heart. Instead of a heart and like, you know what I mean? And like so that's what we would normally do playing live, but also like cutting our teeth in Brooklyn, especially, like it, you really had to fucking fight to win yeah. people over. You know, you had to be undeniable. You have to I mean it's fucking New York City. You have to be
4: undeniable yeah. to like make a yeah. name. It's there. like judgment day for I mean,
3: my so uh hard.
1: so my brother my brother my future brother in law Um, Which, I love the dude, like, we go to shows all the time together, and he's, like, a real big metalhead, and I just, like, remember, like, we were at the PlayStation Theater seeing um, Sean and Polyphia, and Polyphia, like, I'm a big fan of bands that, like, don't necessarily take themselves that seriously, like, you know, Dance Gavin Dance, they're, like, part parody band, um... But, like, so Polyphia, as a joke, because you know what kind of music they play, they're like very melodic. Yeah, of course. Progressive metal. And uh, just for funsies, they split the crowd into the Wall of Death. <laughs> and he was so offended to the point where, like, he liked them before that and just decided to never listen to them again because. Because of the Wall of Death? They disrespected the Wall of Death.
4: <laughs> what is only Lamb of God can. Do the wall of death? <laughs> we've done we've, we've
3: done death with with fake swords. Oh yeah, South, south by right. <laughs> south by a couple times on Long Island. We did yeah. it. I mean, I, you know, as a listener, man, I think the listener's mind is very similar to the artist's mind because, like, you're if you're opening your mind and your heart to a new experience, that's being an artist. That's being an explorer. So it's like you don't want you don't, you don't want to have too many laws. You know what I mean? Ironclad laws. You know what I mean? If someone's being like. Inappropriate or fucking disrespectful, uh, that's one thing. But you know what I mean, like yeah, I don't know. You don't you don't want to put up walls and sh- again that speaks to every, it's the antithesis of rock and roll. You know what I mean? Is that a kitty cat, by the way,
4: that you're holding, sir? Or a do- what is that? Is that a rat? That's a, rat? a bunny. That's a full of money. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi, Kurt. <laughs> Kurt, nice. His uh,
1: his name's Kurt Rabbits, Kurt. named after the dance, Kevin Dance. Um, Vocalist Kurt Trapp. Nice.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I had to pick him up because I let him run around and he tried to eat my mic wire. It's not good. W- which would have ruined this episode for me. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Didn't he already chew through uh, another cable?
1: Uh, yeah, he ruined my good set of headphones. Usually I have a nice like noise-canceling over the ears, like what you guys are wearing. Yeah. But... um. He ate those, and then he ate my... Um, so I have this... It's like a little recording device. You can mix, you can master, you can do like fucking anything. It's like a 32-track recording thing. Nice. And uh, he ate... It's called a Zoom R16. I, I'm gonna give a shout-out to any uh, poor, fake musician like myself. <laughs> who you can get everything you want in a, a thing for, like,
4: $300. Is that that Zoom recorder that has the mics, like, on an X, like, XY or something? <clears throat> Here, I'll put
1: him down and I'll, I'll show you what, I, what I'm packing.
4: I don't, do, <laughs> don't put the bunny down. We're just going to hear the audio cut out in two seconds. It's <laughs> fucking Easter bunny rage.
1: See that white thing?
4: Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's kind of what yeah. I started on, like, when I was producing shit, when I was, like, 16.
1: I um still probably produce my own songs way worse than you did as a sixteen year old. You
4: guys no. like put yourself down, bro. Yeah, you, you do good shit. <laughs>
1: no, I mean I'm I'm really happy with what with what we do, but I'm also not trying to um I'm not trying to like tour or anything. Like we have yeah, a lot yeah. of fun. We we know what we're doing is for fun. We get to play some open mics and it's it's cool. We had a uh, we had the crowd vibing a little harder to our stuff than our uh, shitty ass Weezer cover. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now that's how everybody starts doing. I was doing like Green Day covers and you know covering Blink One Eighty Two and whatever else when we were kids, and then just kind of slowly started to do some open mics myself. There used to be this place called the Downtown in Farmingdale where the studio is now. Um, that's where me, Nick, and my partner Anthony who's in the other room producing this band right now. And that's where we played our first show. It was like, it used to be really sick. It it sucks that they disappeared, but it was Tuesday nights. It was, you know, two songs or 10 minutes, whatever came first. But I still remember getting on stage and like just being terrified. Like, you know, you bring your snare drum, your bass drum pedals and whatever, you just use all their shit. And I was like holding drumsticks like, oh, I don't know if people are gonna like it. I'm not sure, (laughs) you know. But I mean, yeah, you get over that you know, slowly but surely. But yeah, it was, it was it was terrifying the first time I did it because it's like, you know, it, th- those shows were actually really well attended. There was like 50 people there all doing open mics. And like my mom used to go up to the, this dude, Rick, that used to run the shows and just like, uh, so you put my son on at 2 a.m. And uh, that's not going to happen because, you know, he has to go to school. And he was like, all right, fuck it, whatever. So they ended up like bouncing us a little earlier. And they did it a few times. And people like, you know, they dug it, I guess, you know, when we were kids. any Anybody that, like, even, like, made a sound, look like, oh, they love us, the sick, we're amazing, you know? <laughs> but no, that, that was yeah. a fucking blast. I wish there was stuff like this on the island, stuff like that on the island now, but it's mostly acoustic open mics, open mic nights and stuff.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we usually go out to, there's three places in Philly oh. that have kits. Nice. Um, which... I'm sure there's probably more, but we only know three. And yeah. it's um, usually what I do is I end up choking the sticks so hard, my beats are like a little late. Yeah, so like all the way up on the stick. Uh, just as oh, hard gri- as like gripping c- it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like playing like uh, this is this is great podcasting because you can, <laughs> see, they can see what I'm doing. You, right. I, I call it caveman
4: <laughs> drumming where you're like doing full fists. <laughs> And you have no, yeah. like, That's no wrist movement. Mark. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep, like that, yep.
1: right? It's like, you know, you practice the whole time. You're like, and then I get up on stage, I'm like, ah. Yeah,
4: as soon as the, like, adrenaline starts kicking in, then you just don't, you don't remember to relax, which is something that I've always tried to do, like, depending on the tour, because if you get up there, like, and we don't play to a metronome or anything live, like, we record to one, but... If I could, really? Yeah, but, um, so, you know, because we just like the attitude of it, like, we can... If we're having a fast night, it's a fast <laughs> night. Or if, like, Nick or John looks at me like, yo, sh- sh- what are you doing? Slow down. <laughs> then I'm like, all right, <laughs> fuck. But, I, you know, chaos. yeah, it's fun. I mean, like, I'll be backstage just, like, warming up to a metronome or something. So, like, I'll listen to the first song. We're going to open up with practice to a metronome. So by the time I get up there, you know, if there's a bunch of people there or I'm just excited, which, you know, I'm, I'm always excited to play a show, but... I'll end up starting a little fast, and then I'll kind of check myself. Basically, if it mm-hmm. feels too fast on stage, it's probably like a million miles an hour. But if it feels slow, I'm probably in time. <laughs> <Just 'cause laughs> the, you know, the energy just yes. gets to you. It's hard to do that. I still fuck yeah, it up. Yeah, I
1: can't. Be- I can't believe you guys play without a-, a click. Like, well, we also just to give a-, a shout out to the rest of the band. Like I was talking about how good John was. Live, like his, his stage presence, my control. Yeah, let's
3: explore that a little bit. But also,
1: <laughs> even with the live, like your live stream, I'm still not convinced that Nick plays live. <laughs> like, it was just <laughs> it was just too too fucking good. Like uh, our, our one of the guys we interviewed, Kurt, was just like, "I want to hear you fuck up." Yeah. So I know it's real. <laughs> so when you guys are doing the live sesh, like I heard, like the tiniest of notes where John was off, and I was like, "This is real." <laughs> There's No water too. Exactly.
3: Well, but I th- who? Had, to full disclosure, you had a click.
4: Yeah, for yeah. The for the acoustic, yeah, for the acoustic set. That's actually the first time that we've even played to a click. Well, like as a band live and like you know performing and recording just because to do you know multiple camera angles and like so each camera cuz we had um the director Tom Flynn and he had two other guys doing it with him so there was three cameras so in order to align all that shit up if we were doing that like you know uh, totally and uh, just without a click it would be fucking impossible to align the cameras up like it would be a real pain in the ass okay. so we did that to a click but
3: yeah normally normally live we uh we we like the kind of kind of rawness of not having a click and and just being kind of real and you know if something gets fucked up you know we like the ability to like it's a it's a living creature and we can you know it, it'll change its moods or emotion yep. and be able to adapt yeah and, and also we uh, our album Chrome and Paragon we didn't do that to a click yeah or we didn't quantize that or anything like that just because we, we kind of we did it on Crux we did to a click but um, yeah on, on Chroma we just wanted to like come out the gate, swing in and just be like, we didn't need a fucking click.
4: Yeah, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we we just did that. We wanted to make that album like just or like the first album we did just to be raw. Like this is what we sound like. You know, there was you no know, auto tune or quantizing or anything on and that. There's album.
3: never any auto tune to specify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it's is a never. law. Absolutely no, yeah. none of
4: that shit.
1: Really? Like, not even the, no, the bare minimum? No, dude, no. John,
3: John's John's the boy. Actually, it's funny that Ray's here talking about this, because, like, you know, Ray and I have developed such a shorthand. And probably, like, with Nick and, and Vin, too. But, like, you know, the shorthand that we've developed, like, when he's behind the board and I'm in the booth recording, like, you know, it, it's, it's really comfortable and, and we get through shit. But it's funny because there's so many times where, like, even before I say it, he knows I'm going to want to do a take again or he knows... <laughs> if do something. I'm just like I know I could do that better, and you know I'm like it's it's absolutely we cannot I I do do that, and then on you know if we're demoing something I'll I'll copy and paste. But also another rule of mine I was just talking about don't have rules, but I have <laughs> some rules of my own. No like auto tune, and and I absolutely refuse to like copy and paste verses or anything. Even if I'm singing the same thing, I got to sing it. Oh, cool. separately. So yep. harmonies, main lines, everything it's got to be done. If it 's the album recording it's got to be they've all got to be their own, so if you ever hear me sounding exactly the same, I just happen to be doing a good job of doing <laughs> yeah.
4: it that time. just but did it twenty times i mean' yeah. cause especially for us, like you know if I'm doing the whole record at my studio, I can you know literally afford to you know spend a full day on one song on vocals or something where you know in the traditional setting, unless your budget is unlimited, it's like all right, you know we only have a certain amount of time to really work with, but you know, if John comes in, or if anybody comes in, they're having a bad day. Then we'll do a couple tracks, or if it's just not happening, then we'll just meet up the next day, or you know, do two yeah, days is, down the road. You yeah, know, yeah,
3: it is worth mentioning, of course. Like we do have the luxury of of Ray being a producer and having a studio and whatnot.
2: So uh, no, no auto tune, no copy paste. Uh, what about comping?
4: Yeah, we do some comping, but mostly it's like we'll just do it a bunch of times, and then we'll probably get. A take. I mean, not for the acoustic shit, but
3: if we comp, I like it. We'll get down. It's it's splitting hairs, but like I, not for demoing, but for like album recording. If it's mid sentence or mid line or something like that, like I won't want to comp that. Like I want to finish the breath and the phrase and the sentence and whatnot. But you know, if there's two like, kind of like phrases in a verse or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that, you know, we can. Mix and match, but I, I try to get as many full takes as I can. And yeah, I don't. Sure. I don't want a word split up and, and kind of mashed together.
4: Yeah, I mean when we did for like, our um, for our listeners, can you guys explain what comping is? Comping is uh, like somebody, especially for vocals, it's really common. Like if you hear like I don't know, a fucking like a verse on an Eminem record when it's just like a million vocals for you know seeming like an impossible amount of time, is because they do five takes and then in Pro Tools or Logic or whatever you use, you could lay those five takes out and then just grab a word or a breath or something from five different takes and comp them together on one track. So what you're hearing is not one performance. It's like five to ten different performances of over the course of days sometimes, depending on the record. But um, it's that... it's So it's not... Um, so you don't have to do tuning and time editing. You just get a good fucking take. And most of the time you just use that one good take swap a word out here and there you know some people go crazy with it where it ends up being impossible where it's there's no breaths or there's nothing like that i mean we did very little of that on chroma paragon for the same reason i mean pretty much the same thing on crux where you know we just just got a million takes and just picked the best one and rolled with that and maybe do a little punch here and there but um, I, I remember for white stag Um, Which was the last song off Chroma Paragon, and it's Mm -hmm. just eleven minutes long. I think. I think the when John first sat down to do that, he was like, "All right, we're doing it in one take." I was like, "All right, here we (laughs) go." And he ended up getting like one really fucking solid take, and it was like ninety percent a one taker with maybe a couple of doubles or like a couple of harmonies here and there, here and there, but. That's what we were all about. We just wanted to like set that as again.
3: President. Yeah, I mean, there there was also like there was like an ambition to it and like a statement we wanted to make for sure. But also, mm-hmm. it goes to what we were talking about with our live performances. Like, I'd rather, you know, have it sound a little real than not be perfect. You know what I mean? Because like, the, yeah. the, the song is it's about capturing the emotion, and I think it's more important than that to be. To, and again, this is just a personal preference. This is yeah. the way that I like to create. It's not uh, speaking ill of anybody who creates otherwise, but uh, you know, I want the emotion to be there so what Ray was just talking about in scenarios when I <clears throat> say things like that like oh, I want to do this all in one go and I want I don't want this to be comped or anything like that it, it's because like even if it doesn't sound a hundred percent, it's important to me that it like you hear the the human behind this and the emotion behind yeah. it yeah. You
4: know, yeah, people sometimes resonate with that more. So I mean Yeah, for yeah, sure for sure. Some people I mean like that's what
1: kinda draws us to you, yeah. at least me personally, is you could feel a lot of the raw emotion and like in what you're doing. Awesome. And that 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 makes it easier co- to connect with because a lot of people would rather edit that out for
4: Yeah, I mean if you, you know, edit the shit out of something, I mean that's like I mean, you do lose the emotion. I mean, there is a fine line, obviously, like, you know, nobody, not nobody, but a lot of people don't want to listen to a recording with, like, a bunch of mistakes all over it, but it depends on the band. Like, if you're, if you're like, a really raw punk rock band or something, like, if you take a punk rock band and you have their live recording and there's mistakes and there's attitude and this and that, if you take it and, like, program the drums and edit the crap out of the vocals and this and that, like... It, it's kind of just missing the point, you know, but if you're in like a yeah. death metal band You know people that are just getting into that style of music. They don't really have a lot of patience for mistakes or a double bass That's not like, you know, perfect at 240 or something. So it depends on mm-hmm. the genre
3: And it, and it, yeah, obviously it depends on the genre the style the the preference of the artist, but it also speaks to um, the art form of recording in general because writing a song is different than recording a song, you know, so when you write a song that 's one thing and then you record it, you have a whole other way to be artful about it and figure out okay we 've written this song now. How do we want to record it? And how do we want to complement the song itself by this recording and then therein lies you know a myriad of choices you can make you know and and there 's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. There are certainly right or wrong choices, but you know a lot of it comes down to preference
4: yeah i 'm not going to speak for yeah. everybody, but I mean like when we produce stuff and you know, get ideas to get it from Moontooth, like we're not gonna we're not gonna totally eliminate an idea just because it's not possible live. You know, it's not like, you know, Nick's gonna do guitar parts that are so, you know, necessary to the song and the recording that if they're not live it sounds if it's not played live it sounds silly. But, you know, an extra like guitar double or like let's throw some extra fuzz tracks in there or something. You know, that's it's not totally affecting the way the song flows. It's just extra, yeah. extra fun, basically. It's either you want to do, like... If you're going to do, like, a movie, you want to do... movie. All right, we're doing the whole movie in one shot. It's going to be, you know, is what it is. Or you're going to make fucking Terminator 2. There's going to be CGI. There's going to be an extra stuff that's impossible for human beings to do. You know, it's just about the fine line for me. All
1: right, so how are you guys doing on time? <laughs> I originally was hoping that this interview would be, like, an hour, hour 15. We're at... uh Oh yeah, it's like eight. <laughs> over two hours. Sorry. I guess guys. there's
3: we uh we kinda uh, questions you had, we marched over with like history lessons or anything, you know?
4: Yeah, just anything
1: <laughs> Well it's it's more about your time than our time. Like
4: Yeah, I mean we're we're good to hang out for a little longer or I mean if there's yeah, yeah. anything else you wanted to bring up or talk about, I mean
3: You have a tendency to go on some tangents, so yeah.
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so do we. So this yeah. is how this <laughs> happened. <laughs> Um yeah so I uh, Nick was telling me that you guys are currently in the
4: process of writing some new stuff is that yeah. correct Um we've been we've been writing for for a while I mean pretty much since Crux came out or even before it came out we were already writing new material um especially during quarantine like I mean Nick's a fucking machine like he he has a guitar in his hand all day basically like he Wakes up, he does guitar lessons at, um, uh, he was working at School of Rock for a while, which he's done with them now, but for the most part, and then he's doing private lessons, you know, over Skype or over Zoom, or, like, he just started doing in-person lessons again, but basically over quarantine, like, he he was just churning out, like, amazing shit. And, like, I try to, you know, I play guitar, too. I write a few songs for Moontooth whenever I can. Um, I'm not on Nick's level, but, you know, I do what I can. <laughs> But um,
1: uh, while while you're talking about, it, is there a particular song that um you like were the primary writer on? Um,
4: yeah, I mean, like on the last record, it was that song "Musketeers" that we were talking about. You know, the song about solidarity, solidarity, and then you know, flex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Nick, you know, it's never like, all right, this is my song, and this is the guitar part. Like, I write, I write the song. And then Nick adds to it, you know, puts his taste on it, and, and, you know, kind of, it just makes it his own as the guitar player in the band, you know, because I'm not, I don't play guitar in Moontoods, but I can write a song, and then we kind of filter it through, you know, the band, and everybody mm-hmm. puts their spin on it. Um, there's that, and, like, uh, Igneous, salt the Last Record, um, that one, and, like, just, like, riff ideas here and there, a few more songs, but, you know, Nick is the, you know, he writes all the guitar parts for the most part, and then I chime in and, you know, pop a riff in there, here and there, just because my abilities aren't up to his. So does Nick
1: usually come in with, like, you know, kind of partially
4: done songs, and then you guys go around that? Yeah, for, I mean, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a... Uh, he'll just come in, like, here, here's the song I just wrote. Sometimes it's, like, an intro verse chorus type of thing. Doesn't have a bridge or whatever he'll put it on a fucking cell phone demo and then you know he'll throw it in our like band thread and then John'll throw vocals over it some songs have happened in like 24 hours where he has an idea John's at work you know like recording vocals on his phone to it and then we meet up for band practice and I throw drums on it do some structure changes or whatever but yeah it's kind of back and forth he'll have like all right here's a full song and we're like yeah that's a banger it's fucking done or you know we'll make some changes depending yeah, a on a lot vocals. of times
3: it'll be like Nick will have, like, this is this is what I'm calling a song, and it'll be like, you know, there, are, there will be part A, part B, part C, part D, or just part A, part B, and yada, yada, yada. And then, uh, you know, all of us are, a lot of times, if I'm working on, I have on my cell phone, a, I made a joke earlier before we started recording about, like, me just having a cell phone. That's like, I'm not very, like, tech-savvy. But I have like a little like a uh, app on my phone, like it's it's good enough for me to like in my almost like non-existent understanding of engineering to like <coughs> chop up a riff or like make a copy. like if I want to like, all right, well I think this should be longer. Like I I need some more room here. I'll make this longer. I'll I'll, I'll cut this part out and move it here and whatnot. And then we'll kind of build the song that way. So it usually starts with Nick's riffs. And then, <coughs> Moving on for there, but also sometimes raise riffs. You know, like there, like there are a good handful of songs that you know that were raised songs. Like you, know, that because he, he's just as good of a guitar player as he's a drummer. For those who don't know, I wouldn't say that, but thanks, bud. You're a really fucking amazing, guitar <laughs> player, and and, and uh, even more so a drummer.
1: Yeah, I mean, Igneous isn't a, isn't anything to frown upon.
2: Was the uh, slide guitar part on Igneous, Was that Nick's idea, or where did that come from? Yeah yeah, that was him. That's fucking badass.
4: That was, you know, I, I had like the bulk of like intro riff, verse chorus, pre-chorus type of thing, and then you know Nick came in with like a sick verse and like a bridge and an outro and the fucking slide guitar part. Like I can't <laughs> really play it slide for shit, but um, yeah, it was just a definitely a collaborative effort that just started from like one of my random demos, which was probably like two like two years before we even start recording it. Like there's there's so many demos that like just floating around that don't make it to the album or whatever you know we're up to at that point and then we'll just keep it keep it in the fucking keep it in the basket and then eventually it'll become something or if it doesn't then maybe it wasn't meant to be but (laughs) the B sides records for later on. We're gonna put out a B sides Is there
1: there anything you're recycling for the the new album that
3: you're working on? Nah well don't think so recycling isn't the right word because we have way more songs than we are gonna be able to fit on this record. Um, and some of these songs that are absolutely going to make it and never worry. Wait, question.
1: Why yeah. why can't you fit them all on the record?
3: This is like 30 of them or something. Yeah, yeah it's a, um, there's a lot of ideas. Yeah, some. I mean...
1: Hey, uh, I'd love a double album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've talked about it.
3: <laughs> um, but uh, some of them are like a riff that I wrote some vocals to. Some of them are fully structured songs. Um, some of them are things that were written going on like... Well over a year ago, um, that are absolutely going to make it onto the record. Some of them are songs that were written a couple months ago that probably won't make it onto the record. Um, Yeah,
4: yeah, we just have to, you know, figure out the right length and what songs work well together. You know, because as you know, the past year and a half or two years went by. If you write, if you write a bunch of songs within one area where there was like two months, three months, like we're You know, some of the songs start to fit together in that area and then some time goes by and then it's like a really clean, moody song or like two fucking thrash songs or something like that. So we have to like, you know, kind of pick and choose and just make sure that the album sounds cohesive and it doesn't sound like, you know, 12 things as opposed to, you know, one thing.
3: That's another, uh, I'm turning to a broken record, but that's another uh, layer of the art is uh, not just how you record them, but like the tracking of an album is an art form in itself, you know what I mean? Like figuring out like, okay, what's the story here? You know, like you could care about that or you could not. Um, but I don't know. I think that, you know, we're, the four of us are all, we're album listeners, you know what I mean? I like to hear a, a collection that doesn't just sound like a bunch of random songs. I mean, sometimes you get albums that like, all right, this is clearly all random ass fucking songs. <laughs> and they were clearly just like, it's not cohesive all, but this album is fucking perfect, you know? <clears throat> so yeah. it could happen, but yeah, we definitely want it. We strive to, to find like all right, what is this chapter in the story? You know, like.
1: All right, so I guess to wrap this up, back to the uh, the new album. What kind of what kind of content can we be stoked for?
4: Is this going to be close to the Chroma Paragon
1: Crux, or are you guys uh, turning the page
4: again? I mean, it's yeah, it's hard to say at this point, you know, like. Yeah, objectively, it's yeah, you know, it's hard to figure out like what it actually what it's going to mean and what it's going to sound like to other people, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be moving forward, it's, you know, from Crux on lighter or heavier or, you know, more rock. It's kind of like everything we're doing, just a little bit more honed in and kind you of definitely more moon I see a f- progression
3: <laughs> happening, you know, as, you know, a listener would have heard from uh, Chroma Barracon to Crux. You'll definitely hear another step like that <clears throat> you know but I mean cool. you get farther away from Chroma Paragon and or your earlier albums and then sometimes you want to be like ah, you know I got a little hankering for some of that earlier shit and you'll throw some weirdness in there that you know <coughs> so it makes for a whole other kind of beast you know so it's hard to say at this point
4: it's going to be good hopefully
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like you guys are on the up and up like I mean Chroma Paragon was amazing but so was Crux like it's all I don't. I don't really have a Actually, I think I like Crux better, but when Crux came out, I was initially, like, mildly offended. <laughs> oh, yeah. We
3: expected that. We yeah. definitely did.
1: <laughs> I was like, well, I want this chaos. Where is this chaos? And then, so after my first listen, I was just like, psh, not going to listen to this one again. <laughs> and that. And then a month later, I was just like, <laughs> Not going to listen to Chroma Paragraph <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. that's I mean, but
3: that's like any any band, it's like that's the classic situation is like when you make albums, unless you're trying to make the same album over and over again, which is going to get stale, you know, you're going to lose fans from earlier and you're going to gain fans that you didn't have before and, and that's going to happen every time. The newer fans that you got are going to jump ship next time around and... You know, it's just natural. I mean, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing because, like, we yeah. don't want to stay stagnant, you know what I mean? Like, the, the <coughs> emotions and the and the people we were, like, I don't want to be the same person I was when I recorded Chromar Paragon, and I certainly don't want to be the same person I was when I recorded Crux, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I hope to grow and change, you know, and the albums will do that.
4: Yeah, I always felt like, as an artist, I feel like you're fucked either way. If you put, if you have, a like, uh, an album that people like, and then you put out, the same one that sounds the same. Or if you do something totally different, like John was saying, it's either you lose fans or gain fans or both. You know, it's... That's
3: why you got to do it for yourself. You got to do it for you. You'll only get so far if you're trying to adhere to the mob, you know, because like, you're never going to make the masses Mm -hmm. happy. You can't, you know, control them. I mean, there are entire industries devoted to keeping the masses happy. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's not an artful, you know, we're doing this because it's therapy and it's necessary for us emotionally and mentally, you know what I mean? Like if we're trying to, you know, cater to the masses, it's not gonna work. So
2: yeah. just depends just depends on which complaints you want. Do you want yeah. well their stuff sounds the same or oh their old stuff used to be better? <laughs> i
3: I'll take the old stuff used to be better because yeah. I just don't want to I I don't want to stay stagnant. Yeah. I can't handle
4: everybody's like, always like, Oh dude the demos were better, man. Did you hear the shit that they did was unreleased. <laughs> it's never gonna be as good. Like the fucking First Twinkie ever made was probably better than the one that is now. <laughs> Even if it's better. It's, it's still people. it's fine
3: because all my ex-girlfriends like me a lot better when they weren't my exes than <laughs> 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 they
1: are. Oh, uh, John's getting booty calls. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> no. I love Moon Tooth.
4: <laughs> nope. <laughs> maybe that'll maybe I'll work for you one day.
1: All right, Matt, do you have anything you wanna uh Join in before we ruin these gentlemen's whole Friday <laughs> night. <laughs> Not that there's any place to go anymore, yeah, but exactly.
2: I, th- I think we I think we covered our question list pretty thoroughly.
1: All right, right on. Um, for Matt Barrett, for our lunar dentist.
3: Uh, (laughs) that's great we (laughs) very much appreciate that we're big on those kind of puns and (laughs) Lunar Dentist I've never heard that before but uh thank you guys very much for having us and uh absolutely thanks everybody listening for taking the time to you know listen to us fucking jabber on and hopefully you dig the music
1: yeah oh uh one thing we like to do which um we're about one for five at this point for (laughs) artists complying oh um Would you mind singing one of your favorite notes from one of your songs? I get you don't have your drums, I'll do it it
3: right now. All right, okay, ready? That was kind of flat. I think you could do it better. (laughs) That was that was a note I got on one of my.
2: Beautiful I, I love, how, I love the, the The differing Interpretations We get of that Question Every, every time
1: <laughs> One person Whipped out the Guitar The other person Put uh, some effects On their vocals And just screamed <laughs> like, I, I shit my pants I get plenty um, of Notes when I Record <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful I expect to hear That on the new Album
4: <laughs> We'll squeak it On there
1: Alright For um, Ray And John And Matt this is Swan Casting, episode number eight. Woo. First one I remember the name. The name number.
3: April, great.
1: And uh for Rob, shake and bake, baby. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> boys. Shake and bake, baby. <laughs>